The Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. Today's hearing carries great importance for the United States, for Israel, and the region. The attacks by Hamas just over 10 days ago in Israel marked the deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust. Abducting elderly in wheelchairs, burning people alive, killing babies in front of parents. It was not only horrific it was and barbaric, but methodically planned and carried out. Hamas has started a war. Given the dangerous state of emergency that Israel faces, the United States needs a confirmed U.S. ambassador in Jerusalem. We need someone there to reinforce the message that the United States stands shoulder to shoulder with the state of Israel as a response to the unprecedented terrorist attack. We need someone to lead the remarkable, selfless U.S. personnel who have been working nonstop at Mission Israel. We need an ambassador who can work with our Israeli partners and help provide services to over 600,000 American citizens here. So Secretary Liu, it was with great urgency that we hold this nomination hearing today. I am committed to getting you in place in Israel as soon as possible. I want to thank Senator Risch for working with me so we could expedite this hearing today. I thank him for that. I think we both agree that speed is of the essence in having a confirmed ambassador to Israel. So I'm going to ask the cooperation of our colleagues. I'm going to ask that questions for the record be submitted by close of business today, and we will make every effort to make sure that we get those responses to you by this weekend. We have scheduled a business meeting for next week for the vote on this nomination. I ask the committee's cooperation because of the urgency of voting on a confirmed ambassador for the state of Israel. Since October 7th, Hamas has killed more than 1,000 innocent people and injured thousands more. They have viciously killed hostages and are still holding others, including American citizens. I cannot overstate the urgency for the United States to have a confirmed ambassador on the ground to help deliver U.S. support for Israel, to deal with the hostage situation, to deal with the humanitarian needs that we know exist. We need an ambassador who, at this critical and delicate time, can speak with authority and engage diplomatically in the region at the highest level. Secretary Liu's experience, gravitas, and political acumen makes him eminently qualified to serve as the U.S. ambassador to Israel. I have seen firsthand Jack Liu's commitment to public service, his integrity, his dedication to American values, his understanding of the United States national security needs, and his deep understanding and respect for the legislative branch of government. I also know his effectiveness in crafting solutions to very difficult problems. I want to thank Secretary Liu for his service to our country and your willingness to continue that service in this critically important position as ambassador to Israel. And I want to thank your family, because we know this is a family sacrifice Thank you once again for understanding the need for Jack's service to our nation. The last time Secretary Liu was before the Senate as a nominee, he was confirmed by an overwhelming majority of 71 to 26. Now is not the time to play political games. We need to make sure that the other nations and terrorist groups do not... Now is not the time to play political games. How many bombs need to be dropped on Lisa? The committee will be in order. How many 
to you. He can be killed. Our families are dying. Our families are dying. We need a ceasefire now. We need a ceasefire now. Ceasefire now. Ceasefire now. As I said, now is not the time to play political games. We need to make sure that other nations and terrorist groups do not exploit the crisis and open new fronts in the conflict. We need to be clear with everyone. From Hezbollah in Lebanon to the regime in Iran to Assad in Syria and even Putin in Russia, don't even think about joining or expanding the war. To that end, we also need to confirm ambassadors to other critical posts in the region. Doing so would allow Ambassador Liu to work with Senate-confirmed counterparts in Amman, Beirut, and Cairo to make sure Americans throughout the region are safe and our interests are represented to the fullest extent. Secretary Liu, there is clearly no shortages of challenges facing you in this post. I look forward to hearing how you plan to address them and what Congress can do to support that. We need your eyes and ears to better understand what is going on in Jerusalem and Ramallah. We need you to keep pushing forward on normalization agreements between Israel and Saudi Arabia. We need you to make it clear to our allies and enemies that when our friends are in trouble, the United States has their back. But most importantly of all, we need you confirmed. Without objection, I'll enter into the record the letters of support for Secretary Liu, including from the American Jewish Committee and the Anti-Defamation League without objection. And this time, let me turn to our very distinguished ranking member, Senator Risch. Well, uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and uh, thank you for consulting with me as we have over the past week uh, to get uh, to where we are today. Uh, we're here today to support Israel by filling a vacancy in the uh, uh, position for ambassador to Israel. Uh, we have uh, an acting uh, uh, charge there in uh, Stephanie Hallett. She's doing a great job. When I visited with the prime minister early this year, she was very helpful to me meeting with that, that meeting and the other officials uh, I met with. So we do have uh, uh, things being done there on the ground. I agree with you. We need this thing filled. The problem I have is, is it needs to be filled with the right person. The only thing worse than having it empty would be having the wrong person there. And I have some issues uh, in that regard, which uh, we're going to talk about and hopefully uh, uh, clear the air today one way or another. Uh, Eighteen years ago, Israel took the brave step of dismantling uh, is, uh, Israeli settlements in Gaza, handing a Eighteen years ago, Israel took the brave step of dismantling Israeli settlements in Gaza, handing the territory over to the Palestinian Authority. This good-faith effort has been a disaster for the people of Gaza and for Israel as well. Now Israel faces an unprecedented crisis on the scale of, September, uh, of the September 11th attacks against the United States. Massed gunmen killed entire families in their homes, massacred babies, beheaded some, uh, and the elderly, and dragged hostages across the border to Gaza. These attacks were brutal and horrific. We mourn the loss of over 1,400 Israelis and 31 Americans and people from numerous other countries. As Israel rightly responds to safeguard its citizens, it is absolutely imperative that Israel has the freedom to act until they get the job done. This happened to us uh, in, uh, and to Europe in World War II. 
the Nazis uh, had uh, taken over Germany and uh, were marching across Europe. We made the decision, our allies made the decision, uh, that uh, the organization, the Nazis, could not exist any further. And uh, we, we didn't just go to battle to defeat Germany on the battlefield. We went to uh, war to defeat and dismantle and eliminate uh, the Nazis. We did that. It was difficult. We eliminated the Nazis as a military, as a, uh, a political force, as a cultural force, and everything else. The Israelis are attempting to do the same thing now with Hamas, who richly deserve it. Almost immediately after the... The committee will come to order. Let me make it clear. We will not tolerate interruptions in our hearing. You see what's going to be happening. We ask that those that have strong views, there's a place to express it, but it's not to disrupt this hearing. I will not tolerate that. Senator Risch? Almost immediately after the attacks on Israel, we saw calls for a ceasefire and mediation. These calls are misguided, dangerous, and fail to recognize Israel's legitimate right to protect its people. And, re and restore deterrence. What happened in Gaza is directly linked to Iran. That is so important. What happened in Gaza is directly linked to Iran. The Biden administration cannot wish away the Iranian threat or appease the Iranian regime with promises of unfrozen funds and sanctions relief. The attacks on Isra in Israel and reoccurring attacks against our partners, troops, and diplomats are proof of a failed Iran policy. Iran is the supporter of Hamas. Uh, which is impotent without Iran. Unfortunately, the fact of the matter is that Iran has more resources to support terrorism today than it did in 2019. U.S. sanctions enforcement under this administration have been utterly lacking. Iran has earned a shocking $80 billion in oil revenue since the Biden administration took office. Iran's oil economy, once hobbled at 250,000 barrels a day, is now selling almost 2 million barrels of oil every day, mostly to China. We know where that money is going. Iran's ghost fleet used to evade U.S. sanctions has grown from 70 uh, vessels to over 300 during the Biden administration. The unfreezing of funds, uh, first in Iraq, and now the whopping $6 billion from South Korea are completely unacceptable, and it makes Americans and our partners less safe. It, it should come as no surprise that these attacks occurred immediately after the Biden administration unfroze the $6 billion and also gave $75 million direct, directly to UNRWA uh, over my strenuous objections, by the way. On Palestinian policy, the Biden administration argued that restoring funding that I objected to would give the Palestinian Authority the leverage to promote moderate Palestinian voices and reform organizations like UNRWA. Two years later, we've seen no reform. Violence is at record levels. Pay for slay is active, and many Palestinians identify with terror groups to meet their aspirations. Like Iran policy, it's time for a wholesale reevaluation of Palestinian policy. So today we're here to help Israel. We're here to uh, look at the vacancy that exists, the nominee that's uh, uh, been put before us. We're here to help Israel to not hurt it. Secretary Liu, I have reservations on your appointment as America's ambassador to Israel. Not only will you need to support Israel as it responds to these attacks, but also as it, cont as it contends 
with the enduring and indeed existential Iranian threat, which I think is an underlying and foundational issue here. I have reservations about your ability to do that. You played a key role in supporting the Obama administration's nuclear negotiations, and I've had long-standing concerns over a lack of transparency before, before Congress on the transfers of cash to the regime. You have publicly insisted that transfers of cash do not uh, free up Iranian resources for t terror activities. I fundamentally agree with that assessment. Really importantly, it's alleged that you lied or at least misled us, this very committee. On that, I have three items I want to insert in the record, and I will, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, two of them are opinion pieces from the Washington Post, and the third one is uh, a report by the uh, Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, uh, which uh, has been authored, and I'd like to introduce those. Without objection, it'll be included in the record. So I'm going to have some questions for you about uh, the uh, your activities in uh, what I think was a backhanded way of supporting Iran. And uh, with that, I'm going to uh, yield back. I'm here to support Israel today, help every way I can. But I said it's important we get the right person in this position. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Risch. We'll now hear from uh, Secretary Liu. Your full statement will be made part of the record, and you may proceed as you wish. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Chairman Cardin, uh, Ranking Member Risch, members of the committee. I'm honored uh, to appear as the President's nominee to serve as U.S. Ambassador to the State of Israel and grateful to President Biden and Secretary Blinken for the trust and confidence that, that they've shown in me at this critical moment. If confirmed, I look forward to working with, closely with you and other members of Congress to advance U.S. and Israeli interests. Joining me today are my wife, Ruth, and our children. They supported this mission when the immediate focus was to expand the Abraham Accords by further integrating Israel into the Middle East region. And they remain supportive as Israel in the midst of a war with the dream of working towards more peaceful days. As always, knowing that they are behind me is at the core of my ability to serve. I cannot remember a time when Israel's struggle for security was not at the forefront of my mind. I came of age in a family that combined belief in religious Zionism and labor Zionism. When I was 12, the age of my oldest grandchild now, we followed daily reports of the Six-Day War as closely as you could with four daily newspapers and broadcast news. In 1973, the year I came to Washington as a young man, I learned of the Yom Kippur War at synagogue on our most solemn day of prayer, and I worried deeply about the survival of the state of Israel. The horrific and murderous terrorist attacks just days ago shattered another holy day, and learning again of an attack on Israel at a prayer service was an experience that I had hoped never to repeat. At this moment, there is no greater mission than to be asked to strengthen the ties between the United States and Israel, to work toward peace in a region that has known so much war and destruction. The savage attack demands the condemnation of the world, and President Biden has made clear that the United States stands with Israel in its efforts to defend itself. I will do my utmost to end the horrific attacks by Hamas and ensure that Israel has what it needs to defend itself. And I will spare no effort in working 
to help American citizens now captive to return home safely. And I will work to root out payments to terrorists and their families as rewards for their heinous crimes. If confirmed, I will work to prevent other state or non-state actors from expanding this conflict to new fronts. And I will coordinate with the international community to address the humanitarian crisis facing innocent civilians in Gaza who are being used as human shields by Hamas. And Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, I want to be clear. Iran is a threat to regional stability and to Israel's existence. If confirmed, I will uphold President Biden's commitment to deny Iran a nuclear weapon and warning to the region that anyone who's thinking of taking advantage of the current crisis don't. I will work to strengthen Israel's security. Israel's our closest partner in the region and its security is paramount. The president has been clear, the US commitment to Israel is ironclad, demonstrated in part by our $38 billion memorandum of understanding. In the midst of war, our long-term strategic objectives must also remain clear. If confirmed, I will work to advance comprehensive and lasting peace through a negotiated two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and more broadly, to build upon the Abraham Accords and promote more integration, normalization, and cooperation across the region with Israel as a fully recognized partner. I look forward to deepening economic and commercial relationships, enhancing cooperation and economic security in sectors such as cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, transportation, smart agricultural technologies, and clean energy. And as Israel's economy grows and diversifies, the U.S. and Israel must enhance our close cooperation on foreign investment risk management. If confirmed, I will continue to oppose all efforts to isolate and delegitimize Israel internationally and support the global fight against anti-Semitism. I will advance the tireless work of this administration to firmly reject the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement while respecting the rights of all Americans to free speech. I will work to reinforce collective efforts to combat anti-Semitism, building on President Biden's national strategy to counter anti-Semitism, including the abhorrent incidents in the wake of the Hamas attacks on October 7th. More broadly, if confirmed, I will work to further strengthen our 75-year-old partnership with Israel and deepen the bonds between our people. Finally, as someone who has dedicated much of my life to public service, I want to thank the talented and committed foreign service officers, civil servants, and foreign nationals who are doing an extraordinary job at a time of violence and war, representing the United States in Washington and abroad. Just watching this morning our able DCM standing beside the president, knowing that her family and the families of all of our people who are over there have been shaken by the last 10 days. I have personal, as, as a citizen, I have personal appreciation for their dedication, courage, and I think that their service deserves the admiration and respect of all of us and all of the American people. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Risch, thank you for the opportunity to testify here today, and I look forward to your questions. Uh, thank you, Secretary Lou. 
Before we start the five-minute rounds, I have uh, the obligatory questions that we asked all nominees that should be answered by either a yes or a no. Do you agree to appear before this committee and make officials from your office available to the committee and designated staff when invited? Yes. Do you commit to keep this committee fully and currently informed about the activities under your purview? Yes. Do you commit to engaging in meaningful consultation while policies are being developed, not just providing notification after the fact? Yes. Do you commit to promptly responding to requests for briefings and information requested by the committee and its designated staff? Yes. You answer all those questions correctly. Thank you very much. I've done it before, Mr. Chairman. We're off to a good start. Uh, we'll now start five-minute rounds. Uh, let me um, ask you a, a question about your view of the U.S.-Israel relations. In 1948, President Truman did something that the State Department, quite frankly, did not recommend that he do. He did that because of his belief that Israel shared the same values of the United States in a part of the world where we had no other country that shared those values. And that relationship has grown over that period of time. As you pointed out, including the Memorandum of Understanding, the billions of dollars of aid, the development of Iron Dome, and the list goes on and on, shared intelligence information and technology. So I would just like to get your view as to that relationship, why it is special, and what you have done in your public life to help strengthen the ties between Israel and the United States. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, it will come as no surprise to you that uh, I grew up believing that Harry Truman was a hero, that he didn't have to do what he did, and the state of Israel may not have come into existence and lasted had he not done that. Um, I think the relationship between the United States and Israel is special because we share values and because, as the president said as recently as this morning, the United States understands that without the state of Israel, it's not just the people of Israel who aren't safe, but Jews around the world aren't safe without a state of Israel. So the relationship between the United States and Israel is at the core of who I am and what I believe is important for us having an ally in the region that we can count on. You know, while my career has not, for the most part, been in foreign policy, foreign policy has been integrated into many of the roles I've played. Uh, as the director of OMB, as the chief of staff, as the secretary of the treasury. Um, I was uh, the OMB director who helped design the first MOU uh, to make a multi-year commitment of security assistance to Israel. You know, I was the deputy secretary of state who helped Israel become a member of the OECD, which is the membership organization of the developed nations of the world that Israel desperately wanted at a time when it was being marginalized and being thrown out of some international bodies. I was the OMB director who helped fund Israel's missile defense on multiple occasions, and not without concerns about its cost and some concerns about the scope of our commitments. You know, I have uh, not shied away from expressing my views when, uh, when the position of the United States and the position of Israel require public officials who represent our government to do so. Um, I'm happy to discuss those matters, but I believe that uh, my reputation as somebody who stands with Israel is beyond question. I think the government of Israel has made that clear in things that they've said even since my nomination. Well, the immediate need for the United States is to help Israel deal with this war. 
providing the support it needs, dealing with hostage relief, dealing with the, the potential escalation and preventing that from happening. That's going to be the immediate concern. But looking beyond that, and you mentioned the Abraham Accords and normalization, one of Hamas's objectives was to derail the normalization discussions that are taking place in the Middle East, with the most visible being between the United States, Israel, and uh, Saudi Arabia. So tell me a little bit about your view as to how you keep these normalization discussions alive during a time of war. Mr. Chairman, um, it, it is going to be a challenge uh, until this war ends for people there or here to focus on the day after. But I deeply believe that those of us who have responsibility in this area, if I, as I will if I'm confirmed, have to keep our eye on the strategic objectives. Because you look at the question of negotiations between Israel and Saudi Arabia, if it was in the national interest of Israel and Saudi Arabia two weeks ago, it's in the interests of Israel and Saudi Arabia when this war ends. And we're a critical part of that conversation. I have had extensive dealings uh, with many of the governments in the region. I would pledge my utmost support to making that conversation one that can get back on track. As I said in my opening remarks, it was the mission I thought I was going over to start with. I dearly pray that we get back to that mission soon. Thank you. Senator Risch. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I, and first of all, let me uh, let me say that it, it, I agree with virtually everything that you've said, um, particularly as uh, the underlying issue here, uh, which I think is the uh, warming relations that were happening between Saudi Arabia and uh, and Israel. I think those were probably the precipitating factor that uh, uh, Iran caused Iran to pull the trigger. And Iran did pull the trigger, in my judgment. Uh, got. Uh, the uh, uh, people who were who are Arabs uh, uh, to rise up against uh, Israel, knowing exactly what the consequences would be, and then attempting to uh, and successfully in many instances turn the world against Israel for responding as they did. I think you've got that call just right. Uh, I think that uh, that that's what's happened. Uh, like you, I pray that uh, when this is over, that uh, the. Uh, we can continue on, and uh, a number of us are meeting with uh, uh, Saudi officials to uh, to urge uh, that. My problem, of course, it goes back to your your performance uh, previously, and um, the to quote from the Washington Post opinion piece, it says Lou must explain why in 2015 he promised the same committee that he would not allow Iran access to U.S. financial system. Under the recently announced nuclear deal with Iran, he had secretly tried to do just that by working to turn 5.7 billion in Iranian assets into easily convertible currency via U.S. banks. So I'm, I'm going to pursue that line uh, at this point. I want to ask you, first of all, if you recall sitting in that very chair in July of 2015 and stating, quote, uh, we'll continue... Uh, under the JCPOA, Iran will continue to be denied access to U.S. financial and commercial markets. Do you, do you recall statements? Mr. Chairman, I remember that testimony well, and um, I believe that we kept uh, uh, the Iran from becoming part of the U.S. financial system, and I'm happy to discuss the implementation of the JCPOA. 
I know you and I may not agree on the policy of That's an understatement. the JCPOA, but what we did was we implemented a policy that was transparent that I testified before this committee on in terms of what was being done. We negotiated with, the, with Iran to have them roll back their nuclear program in exchange for which they would get access to money that was their money that we had frozen. All we did was facilitate that transaction. So we did not welcome them back into the, the, the U.S. financial system. Did you, on uh, February 24, 2016, issue a specific license to Bank Muscat authorizing Iranian assets worth roughly $5.7 to flow through the United States financial system? We, we, we did issue licenses. I do not That's recall... I do not recall whether those licenses were the vehicle through which funds moved. I don't believe they were. But the concern was we had made an agreement to return money transparently in this committee, and returning that money was the bargain for a nuclear deal. Did That's you, are, all are we you, did. Are you telling us you notified us that on, uh, that on February 24, 2016, you had authorized that specific license to Bank Muscat? The, Mr. Chairman, that was a specific license, and there is not a practice of notifying specific licenses. General licenses are published. Specific licenses are not. Uh, I, I want to uh, quote uh, one of the uh, uh, executives from Bank Muscat when they said uh, there was a gigantic breakthrough uh, which has assured Iran of almost full global financial inclusion. That was in response to the license that you issued on February 24, 2016. Well, Mr. Chairman, I can't say, speak to what uh, someone at the Bank of Muscat said. What I can tell you is the government of Iran believed that we did not give them what they expected, which was full access to the world financial system. They complained that my actions were what kept them from getting full access to the world financial system. I know that some of you are going to ask me questions about what my team said when they went around the world. My team went around the world telling banks all over the world, we did not lift the sanctions on terrorism. We did not lift the sanctions on human rights violations. We did not lift the sanctions on regional destabilization. Be careful. And Iran thought that kept them from getting what they thought they should get. We did the letter of the agreement, gave them what was agreed to in the JCPOA, nothing more. Well, um, my time's uh, almost up. Uh, I have to tell you that uh, I... This is something we knew nothing about at the time that you issued that license. And uh, we believe that that was a direct contravention of what you told us uh, here in this committee in July of 2015. And to be honest with you, I am deeply disappointed with that. As I said, uh, to me, this whole thing's about Iran. And uh, uh, holding hands with Iran under the table doesn't work for me. And uh, I'm deeply disappointed that you issued that license, deeply disappointed that you didn't tell us about it, deeply disappointed that you misled us in uh, July uh, when, you, uh, when we had that meeting. And my time is up, Mr. Chairman. I uh, yield uh, underwhelmed and uh, unpersuaded. Thank you. Senator Menendez. Uh, Mr. Secretary, congratulations on your nomination. It comes at an incredibly critical time in the U.S.-Israel relationship. I want to try to go through some few, a few things in the five minutes I have. Uh, do you agree with me that Iran is an existential threat to the state of Israel? Uh, yes, I do, Senator. And, and do you agree with me that their nuclear program, where their enrichment is beyond any commercial-grade uh, purpose, if continued, is an existential threat to the state of Israel? 
I have believed that uh, the, the enrichment of uranium in Iran is a threat to Israel and the world, and that was why I supported the JCPOA, because it's created a bigger wall of time. Um, I think we're closer to that now, because they've, since the JCPOA has uh, been uh, ended in terms of our participation, they've enriched more. You, you're aware that there are many efforts to delegitimize the state of Israel, particularly at the United Nations. Um, in 2016, uh, the Obama administration, to my disappointment, which I expressed at the time, uh, failed uh, to veto a, a resolution that did, from my perspective, exactly that, an attempt to delegitimize the state of Israel at the United Nations. Uh, if you were to be confirmed uh, under these present circumstances and uh, assuming that it was such a resolution, would you recommend the president veto similar resolutions that signal out Israel, delegitimize his actions of self-defense, and play down the role of Hamas and other organizations that undermine the prospects for peace? Senator, I, I uh, believe deeply that the UN needs to be fair and not condemn Israel and ignore the actions of terrorist organizations like Hamas. Um, I do not believe it's right for the UN to adopt resolutions that single Israel out. And I have always believed that the UN needs to be more even-handed. I can't comment on, on a, a hypothetical resolution. I would only note that when that decision was made, um, it was made by President Obama after a very, very much worse resolution had been substantially modified. And uh, that was the A worse resolution doesn't make a bad resolution no, any no. better. I, I, I understand that, but it, there's always a dynamic in the United Nations. Uh, the point is that, that uh, at the UN, uh, Israel is constantly vilified. It is constantly made the central focus uh, when other countries in the world who have uh, significant human rights violations go untouched. And so uh, you're not going to be at the UN. No. I'm but you are to going to be part of a national security team yeah. as the ambassador to Israel that is going to have input yeah. in an administration. And so I'm trying to understand where you'll come from at that well, point. Well, I, I can say that if I'm confirmed to be ambassador to Israel, um, I will have a single focus uh, on how I approach these questions that is different from the focus that you have in other roles. Um, I will be an advocate for doing the things the United States should do to protect Israel, including at the UN. Thank you. Um, let me ask you, what do you see your role, if confirmed, um, as it relates to the challenges of the Palestinian people? Hamas is a terrorist organization. They're barbaric. There's no question about that. Uh, and Israel must do what is necessary to wipe them off the face of the earth. Having said that, uh, the Palestinian people in and of themselves are not Hamas. So what do you see your role as the U.S. ambassador uh, as it relates uh, to finding a better future for them? Senator, as I said in my opening remarks, uh, I am keeping focused not just on today, but on where we go after the conflict war ends. And I think we have to be back in a place where questions are being asked about how do you have a sustainable peace? How do you have security for Israeli and Palestinian citizens? My heart goes out to innocent civilians who are injured, whether it was the gruesome atrocities on that Saturday 
or innocent civilians who are living in areas where Hamas is hiding and they get killed because of collateral damage. This has to end, but it has to end with Israel's security being guaranteed. And it's a very difficult moment uh, to remember that we're going to get beyond this current state of affairs. And hopefully, hopefully, coming out of this, there will be some more willingness uh, and parties able to have conversations about building a better future. We need to worry about refugees. I've been heartened by some of the progress I've read about in the last 24 hours on humanitarian corridors, on getting uh, food and water to people. Um, you know, I think Hamas is uh, using Palestinian citizens uh, to make their, their cause public, but they're hurting those people. Thank you for your responses. Senator Rubio. Thank you for being here today, for your willingness to serve, but I do need to touch on this. So you said in the testimonies now on the record, you've acknowledged it, that the, in your testimony, both written and verbal, in this committee in 2015, in July, you said that there would not be, Iran would not have access to U.S. financial institutions. You've also said that there was a special license, which I think is well documented in the report that's now on the record, um, to allow Iran access to U.S. financial institutions. In particular, it was a specific license to a bank in Oman allowing access to U.S. dollars in New York to convert about $5.7 billion worth of Omani rials into uh, Iranian accounts and, and into euros. Um, the report that is also on the record also found that OFAC, under your leadership at Treasury, instituted uh, about 200 roadshows. Uh, well, first of all, OFAC actually encouraged two U.S. banks to convert these funds. That's what the report found. Um, the two banks decided not to do so, but nonetheless, the U.S. Treasury actively encouraged two banks to do this. Then Treasury, through OFAC, put on over 200 roadshows across the world, encouraging U.S. banks to do business uh, with Iran, um, and also telling uh, members of the international banking community not to downplaying basically potential future penalties or fines, stating that 95% of the time, OFAC sends a warning letter or takes no action. In fact, there's one, the report found that at least one European regulator who attended one of these roadshows commented that foreign financial institutions felt political pressure to conduct business with Iran and Iranian companies. And in fact, the report also found that Treasury Department officials, while you were Secretary of Treasury, officials proactively contacted foreign financial institutions to provide information about the JCPOA sanction relief. In one example, a compliance officer proactively contacted a foreign financial institution to make sure they understood Iran sanctions relief. And this left the foreign financial institution confused since they had no business uh, with Iran up until that point. So we send you a letter, Senator, then Senator Kirk and I on March 30th, 2016, asking you about all this. We ask you about specific licenses and U-turn transactions, and we also ask assurances that the United States will not work on behalf of Iran to enable Iranian access to U.S. dollars elsewhere in the international financial system, including assisting them to gain access to dollar payments outside the U.S. We asked you this in a letter on March 30th, 2016, which I asked that be entered into the record. Without objection. You responded on May 11th of 2016, in which uh, you said, we are not planning to reinstate U-turn, and, and we will continue to vigorously enforce the many sanctions that remain against Iran, including our primary sanctions that generally prohibit Iranian banks from clearing U.S. dollars through the U.S. financial system or holding uh, correspondent account relations in the U.S. That was your response, and I asked that the May 11th, 2016 letter be Without objection be included. Right? So we wrote you back in May, uh, I guess three, two, three days later after this letter, a week after, 
So we are disappointed that you ignored the request in our March 30th letter, uh, providing assurances that the United States will not work on behalf of Iran to enable Iranian access to U.S. dollars elsewhere in the international system, etc. And you responded on June 7th of that year. Uh, I asked that, that June 7th response be entered into the record. Without objection. And uh, you, this is what it says. To be clear, the Department of Treasury is not working on behalf of Iran to enable Iranian access to U.S. dollars elsewhere in the international financial system, nor are we assisting Iran in gaining access to dollar payment systems outside the U.S. financial system. The administration has not been and is not planning to grant Iran access to the U.S. financial system. So basically, the way I would describe this is, your testimony is you were not providing them access to the U.S. financial system. You then issued a special license, which is not published, maybe no one was supposed to find out about it, to help them gain access to the U.S. financial system, then asked two banks to help convert the funds. They chose not to do so. You then put on 200 roadshows around the world, encouraging uh, banks around the world to be a part of this and telling them, this is to your OFAC director, don't worry about sanctions, don't worry about penalties, 95% of the time, it's just a warning letter or no action at all. And, and actually re proactively reached out, according to the report, unless you dispute the report, proactively reached out to a bank and, which said, we don't do any business with Iran. I don't know why they're contacting us. And then when we write you about it, not once but twice, you deny or mislead that any of this was happening. So these are the facts as I've outlined. Do, I, do you dispute any of these facts as they're outlined? And I, I understand your point that general licenses, specific licenses... The bottom line is, this license was issued. It did exactly what you said we're not supposed to do. Then you guys did the roadshow. You even had people in the State Department saying, and the report found this too. This is not a partisan report. Okay, this report was put together by, that, by the Oversight Committee. It found these facts, including emails from people at State Department saying, we are concerned that this exceeds our power under the deal. So how are we supposed to see all of that and then somehow confirm you to this very important post when you've deliberately, in my view, misled me, misled Senator Kirk, misled the Congress on what was happening behind the scenes with regards to all of this. Mr. Chairman, may I have a moment just to respond? You may. Um, you know, Senator, I, I don't think um, the facts are exactly the way you describe them. Um, and I think it's important to distinguish between the technical details to facilitate implementation of JCPOA and more broadly welcoming Iran into the U.S. financial community. We didn't. We, and I took no actions that would do that. I don't think your uh, description uh, of what U.S. and OFAC officials were doing uh, is the same as my memory of what I had people out there doing. I had p banks and governments coming to me saying, we want you to do exactly what you described. We didn't do that. What we did was we said exactly what I said in response to, to the ranking member. We told them what sanctions were lifted, what sanctions remained in place, and we told them to be careful. And Iran got from that the message that we were telling people not to do business with them. That's why they sanctioned me. That's why I've been sanctioned for human rights violations in Iran, and I'm proud of it. We gave them nothing more than we promised in the JCPOA. We can agree or disagree whether that was good policy. But there are other members of this committee who've been sanctioned by Iran. I'm proud to be among them. Well, Mr. Just for the, I know I'm on my time, but it's for the record. That's not my allegations of the facts. That is, I'm reading out of the report by the Senate Subcommittee on Investigations, and, and I do think this needs to be answered. Uh, Senator Kane. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Secretary Liu, uh, congratulations on this nomination. It's very important. I want to read some quotes that I found interesting 
uh, reactions uh, from Israeli officials and others to the news of your nomination. The current Foreign Minister Cohen in early September tweeted out, Welcome Ambassador-designee Jacob Lewis. You have been nominated USA Ambassador to Israel, a country you know so well. We look forward to working with you in the spirit of our close cooperation and alliance. In a follow-up interview, he said about you, he is a true friend of Israel, and we expect him to work. And we expect to work with him in the spirit of our alliance that's based on shared values. Many of us know former Ambassador uh, Michael Oren, the Israeli ambassador to the United States. When you were being rumored as a potential nominee, he said Jack Lew is reportedly a lead candidate to be U.S. Ambassador to Israel. He's a true statement statesman and a passionate Jew. As Israel's ambassador to the U.S., I greatly valued his friendship and his outstanding defense of the U.S.-Israel alliance, a mention in every sense of the word. Uh, human rights activist Natan Sharansky in 2015 said this, Lou worked days and nights taking families of prisoners of Zion through all the quarters of power to make sure the Jews would be released. Many Soviet refuseniks owe their lives to him and others for the successful efforts to release them. Uh, Israeli official Yuval Steinitz also in 2015 recalled that without Lou's help, Israel would never have been accepted into the OECD. These are comments that are powerful. Um, there is a need for speed in acting on this nomination. I encourage my colleagues to do all we can to get it to the floor quickly so that we can have a confirmed ambassador to Israel at this most important moment. The news this morning is also that the Biden administration is sending to us a supplemental package that has aid for Ukraine, aid for Israel, border aid, and also a disaster assistance for states hit by weather emergencies. I would hope that the Senate could show in a bipartisan manner that we would support this. I think that would send a powerful message to Israel as well. Um, I want to ask about Iran. Look, the most controversial issue on this committee, I've been on the committee the whole time I've been here, uh, since I came in 2013, was the JCPOA. There are people in this body, Mr. Liu, who they're not going to let you out of the penalty box over that. Um, there are some who opposed, who were opposed, who can separate their feeling about the JCPOA from whether you would be a good ambassador. But there are some you're not going to get out of the penalty box with them. But I do notice something that you just mentioned. I think four of the members of this committee have been sanctioned by Iran. Not all of us have been, but you've been sanctioned by Iran. Tell the committee why Iran sanctioned you. Well, Senator, um, at the end of the JCPA negotiation, I think it was Iran's hope that they would get exactly what has been described here, that they would be welcomed into the world of nations, and they were profoundly disappointed when that didn't happen. And they did not think that I kept the bargain. One thing I will say is, a deal is a deal. We made a deal with Iran. If you want sanctions to work to get sovereign powers to change their policy, which Iran did in rolling back its nuclear program, you have to keep your side of the bargain. I didn't think we had to do any more than that. Right, and so the sanctions that were lifted in that deal were sanctions pertaining to Iran's nuclear program, Correct. but we never agreed to lift any other sanction about human rights problems, development of, of missile systems, violation of other uh, UN resolutions. We lifted none of those sanctions, and you went around the world reminding banks and financial institutions that those sanctions were still in place, and if they acted contrary to them, there were negative consequences that they would uh, receive. And it, we did tell banks that if it's a nuclear sanction, those have been lifted, because that's what the deal was. Well, I think you should be proud of being 
sanctioned by iran and i heard a comment earlier that said you know holding hands with them under the table if that was the case you wouldn't be on the the list of those who are sanctioned by the nation of iran um, i was very pleased to see that ambassador satterfield will serve as the special envoy to lead u.s diplomacy to address the humanitarian crisis in gaza i associate myself with comments made by senator menendez hamas started this horrible war against civilians, but all Palestinians are not Hamas, all Gazans are not Hamas, and a broader humanitarian challenge in Gaza will serve not Israel's interest, be detrimental to Palestinians, will not serve the regional interest. We, we need to do all we can to encourage our ally Israel to take the fight to the perpetrator and not to those who weren't the perpetrators. We have painful lessons. We've learned about that in the United States. We took the fight to the perpetrator after 9-11, but as we broadened it into a global war, including a war against Iraq, we lost credibility. We lost support nationally. We unleashed a set of consequences that probably should not have been unleashed. And so we have our own painful experience of being attacked and then allowing the response to go beyond those who perpetrated the attack and suffering as a result. And I'm hoping that you'll work closely together with, uh, with Envoy Satterfield on this important humanitarian mission. Well, um, Senator, um, uh, I have to say that um, I don't think I could have found the words to say as eloquently what the president has said in, on multiple occasions over the last week. Israel not just has a right, but a responsibility to defend itself. And what makes our relationship with Israel so special is that we share a common belief in democracy and in the rule of law, and that includes the law of war. I think that is what Israel believes. And we, this is not the time for us to be lecturing Israel on what they have to do to establish the security that they have a responsibility to provide. Um, and I think they know they have to do it in a way that is consistent with minimizing the impact on innocent civilians. As we learned in, in uh, Fallujah and in Mosul and Ramadi, it is very hard, very hard to, for there not to be collateral damage. So I don't think the standard can be that it gets to zero. And I don't think that's what the president said. The president said they have to defend themselves. Senator, Senator Romney. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I, along with uh, a handful of other senators, were uh, in Israel over the weekend and had the chance to meet with leadership there, former leadership of the country, as well as with military leaders and with families of hostages. And I know that your uh, confirmation can be done by one party alone, and you're likely to be confirmed on that basis. But that being said, there are a few things I'd like to pass along to you, assuming that you do become ambassador. Uh, one is that our chief of mission is a highly respected individual, respected by the Israeli leadership, uh, and is working in the uh, interest of the United States and is someone who uh, we respect enormously as well. Uh, meeting with the families of hostages, their stories and the experiences are heartbreaking. The outrage, the brutality, the inhumanity of Hamas in the way they, they took children and others and grabbed them and took them across the border is hard to comprehend, um, and, uh, and, and we need to do everything within our power to release, or secure the release of those hostages. I'd also note that one of the generals, um, the leading general um, of the uh, Israeli Defense Forces said something that's very powerful. He said, Israel and Jews don't do vengeance. We're not going to target Palestinians 
and try and kill a lot of Palestinians to make up for all the Jews that were killed. That is not our intent. We will do everything in our power to avoid civilian casualties among the Palestinian people. But they're being used as human shields. And in many cases, there will be deaths, but they will be unfortunate and not part of an effort on the part of Israel to carry out vengeance. And also note that there is a responsibility that ever, every government has, and the Israeli government, of course, has this responsibility as well, to secure the safety and the life of their citizens. And in this case, Hamas has made it very clear that as long as they exist, Israeli citizens' lives are going to be at risk and will be sacrificed. And therefore, it is unacceptable for Hamas to continue to exist, certainly in proximity that they have enjoyed from the Gaza Strip. Um, I would note also that in discussion of, of what comes next, what's going to happen after, let's assume that the Israeli military is successful in rooting out Hamas. Um, what happens after that? There was no clear response to that, and I didn't expect necessarily a response to that because the Israeli government and military is focused on how they're going to be successful in rooting out uh, Hamas. Uh, that's, that's what comes first, but what comes next is something which will... Uh, be of uh, a great priority for uh, for the United States ambassador there. Uh, I, I'm going to uh, uh, note that that uh, I, I was very troubled uh, by the report of their permanent subcommittee on investigations uh, that was carried under the direction of Senator Portman. I concur in the questions that were being raised by uh, Senator Rubio. That is very troubling to me. I I wonder how the White House could have brought forward a uh, a, a nomination given that report and given the, the uh, uh, clear uh, indication that, that Republican members at least, and hopefully some Democrat members as well, would be uh, troubled by and moved by the, re the results of that um, report from the subcommittee on investigations. Um, finally, a, a question, uh, and that, that relates to a... Um, uh, a tangential issue, but and that is uh, there is most recently a response or an effort has been promoted by the administration to provide six billion dollars of Iranian funds to Iran to release them as part of the uh, prisoner uh, exchange. Uh, that's obviously been put on hold. But I, I guess I question, and you have experience in this regard, the idea that dollars are going to be used for humanitarian purposes only. I heard the administration say, we're going to get you your $6 billion back, but it has to only be used for humanitarian purposes. Now, I know enough about money to know that funds are fungible and that if we say, we're going to give you $6 billion, but you've got to use it for food and hospitals for your, for your population, Iran can say, thank you, that's what we use the $6 billion for. Now we've freed up $6 billion that we otherwise would have used ourselves for food and hospital. And now we can use that to build nuclear weapons or provide money to Hezbollah or Hamas. And so am I wrong? It strikes me that when we say that we're going to give you money, but only for humanitarian purposes, it's an entirely disingenuous. It's a way of disguising the fact that we're providing funds to a, a state sponsor of terror. It's misleading to the American people, misleading to the world. Is there any other way of reading that? Well, Senator, uh, first, um, I want to agree with you about the difference uh, between um, defending a country and vengeance. And there's a difference between anger and fury and vengeance. If any of us lived in a country where that large a part of our population had been brutalized in a way that we couldn't hardly imagine, 
Controlling your fury is almost beyond the imagination. I believe they're going to do the right thing and try their best to do it, to defend the country, not for vengeance. You know, on, on uh, the, the, the question, uh, you didn't ask it as a question, but uh, the, re the report of the special committee, you know, I have remained close with Senator Portman even since we both left government. I spoke to him as recently as last night. Um, I would just invite anyone who questions whether he thinks that I'm somebody who keeps my word, I would just suggest they talk to Senator Portman. Um, on the question of fungibility of money, as an economic matter, I've many times made the point that money is fungible. But when you're dealing with Iran, you're not dealing with a rational economic player. You're dealing with an evil, malign government that funds its evil and malign activities first. So when Iran gets access to food and medicine for its people, that's food and medicine they wouldn't otherwise have. I can't say that there's no leakage. And when I supported the JCPOA, what I said was our intelligence reports suggest that the vast majority of that money will be used for the neglected purpose of humanitarian expenses. And to the extent that there's leakage, it won't change the thrust of what they do. Sadly, supporting terrorist organizations like Hamas and terrorist organizations like Hezbollah, that's not very expensive. They're doing that anyway. We're trying. I tried as hard as I could. Subsequent administrations tried as hard as they could. Under maximum pressure, they still were doing their malign activities. So it's not a pure economic uh, question. It's, a, it's really a question of who are we dealing with. We're not dealing with people who trade off guns and butter. Guns come first. Uh, Senator Coons. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, thank you, Mr. Secretary, um, to you and your family for your willingness to step forward and take on this very challenging and critical service on behalf of our nation in this difficult moment, like every member of this committee. Uh, I unequivocally condemn the invasion and attacks by Hamas against Israel, the slaughter of innocent people, the taking of hostages. Uh, and uh, when you are, I hope, confirmed by the Senate, you will take on uh, representing our nation in a particularly challenging and fraught moment with a critical ally. Uh, I'm grateful that our president chose to go in person and have already been receiving messages from uh, friends in Israel and throughout the region about what a difference it makes to them uh, when our national leader shows up. Um, but we also, frankly, have to sustain that engagement through a Senate-confirmed ambassador. It's my hope that we will also confirm ambassadors to other countries in the region um, Egypt, Lebanon, the coordinator for counterterrorism, and that we will continue expediting some of these confirmations. We have, I believe, just confirmed ambassadors to Oman and Kuwait in recent days. Um, but all of us who serve on this committee and who have served overseas in different roles know there's a huge difference between an ambassador of the United States, and although there are many talented and qualified uh, career foreign service officers in the current case serving as DCM or as Charge, um, we need an ambassador. So I hope this committee will take that very seriously. If you would, uh, Mr. Secretary, just speak for a moment about how you would work to limit um, what I think was the goal of Hamas's attacks, in addition to terrorizing the population, um, to prevent um, any reconciliation, any recognition between Israel and Saudi Arabia and expansion of the Abraham Accords. How would you sustain that forward movement? And how would you limit these attacks from developing into a, a wider regional conflict um, and how would you work to contain Iran's malign influence? 
Well, Senator, um, first, I, I said this before, but I'll say it again. Uh, we have outstanding uh, uh, public servants, including our acting ambassador, who are doing the business. Um, and I agree with you, it's important to have confirmed ambassadors. One does not contradict the other. Um, I also agree with the comments that have been made by several senators that, just as an observer from the outside, I think this attack was time to try to undermine the, neutral, the, the normalization process and to make it harder. The way you respond to that is by coming right back as soon as you can. This is not a moment where people can concentrate on, on you know, what the shape of the discussion the day after is. But my view is the way you prevent a terrorist organization by winning is you don't get terrorized, you don't run away, you stick to what's in your national interest, and you work hard at it. It was always going to be a challenging negotiation to get a normalization agreement. I think it will clearly now be more challenging because the public opinion in many places will be at such a different level after this war. And a role we can play as the United States, and we've often played, is to bring people together to keep that conversation going. I hope, and this may just be that I'm an eternal optimist because otherwise you give in to you know, the worst of man. I think that coming out of this, there will be an understanding that some of these issues have to be dealt with. And the shape of how they're dealt with won't be the same as it was before the conflict. But it will have to be done in a way that gives Israel the ability to defend itself, to protect its people from future attacks like this. And we have to do it with our eyes wide open about the fact that we do have malign forces like Iran that want to destroy Israel. So it isn't easy, but I think Saudi Arabia and Israel were in a place where they had made a decision that this was something very much worth pursuing. And I hope when this is over, we can help get that conversation going again. And I hope members of this committee who are determined to help move that forward will also, in a bipartisan way, contribute to it. Before my time ends, I just... My senior senator, um, Senator Carper, was the ranking member on the Permanent Subcommittee for Investigations. And just for those who are pressing you and troubled by um, that report, he refused to sign it. Um, he found that its conclusions, um, in his estimation, were a partisan effort at attacking the previous administration's uh, Iran policy rather than a specific incredible conclusion about you and your conduct. I'll let Senator Carper's public statement speak for itself, but for folks who are wrestling with that in any way, I'd encourage them to talk to my colleague, Senator Carper, who I think is as even-handed, balanced, and bipartisan a senator as has served in the modern era. So um, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to say in response to that. I, 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 I appreciate your uh, uh, bringing that to the attention of the committee. Um, it's a point that Senator Carper has made to me as well. Well, thank you for your willingness to take on this important service, and it's my hope that we will proceed quickly with your confirmation. Thank you, Mr. Thank Secretary. You. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Senator Ricketts. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you, Mr. Liu, for being here. The attacks and atrocities that Hamas committed were one of the darkest days in Israel's history. We saw reports of babies and toddlers beheaded. Women were raped and paraded bloody through the streets. We've seen kidnappings, including of children. And this isn't uh, something that is confined just to Israelis. We know there's not only 1,400 Israelis have been killed, but 31 Americans have been killed. And we are also concerned about the hostages that 
include not just Israelis, but uh, potentially Americans as well. And Hamas continues to block the evacuation routes within Gaza so they can use Palestinians, children, and civilian in Gaza as human shields. They force innocents into harm way, harm's way for their twisted propaganda. Hamas represents the worst of humanity. I believe the U.S. must stand shoulder to shoulder with the state of Israel. Uh, we need to stand with them in their time as they have declared war on Hamas to fight this war. It is uh, in that context that when I hear for calls of ceasefire or de-escalation, that's just foolishness. This is a war that Israel needs to prosecute, and we need to give Israel the weapons they need to be able to do it. We need to give them uh, interceptors for the Iron Dome, additional batteries to protect innocent Israelis from these rocket attacks. Now, obviously, this was an intelligence failure uh, to detect this attack, and time will come to be able to dig into what happened there and address it. But even worse, the Biden administration's failed policy on Iran has enabled Hamas to, have, to make these attacks in the first place. Iran is the largest state sponsor of terrorism. They support Hamas. Hamas would not be able to do this without Iran's support. Since coming to office, the Biden administration has failed to enforce the Iranian oil sanctions. We heard that from the chairman or uh, ranking member earlier. And that's provided the regime billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars of funding that has subsequently could be used for funding terrorists, especially their proxy Hamas, to attack Israel. And according to a Wall Street Journal report that while the IRGC was coordinating an attack with Hamas to kill Israelis, the Biden administration was negotiating a secret deal to be able to free up $6 billion of money for Iran. And that certainly goes to, if that report is true, how Iran just holds nothing but contempt for the United States and will deal behind our back even while trying to negotiate. You know, these are just mind-boggling decisions. It's a continuation of the disastrous Obama administration around policy that you, Mr. Liu, helped orchestrate. You were one of the key implementers of the flawed Iran nuclear deal. Iran wants to annihilate Israel, wants to wipe them off the face of the earth. The Iran deal, uh, given its very sunsets, would have put Iran on a path to be able to continue to enrich uh, uranium for a nuclear weapon. And it's a certain irony that one of those sunsets the U.N.'s prohibition against Iran missile and drone activity, which Iran was already violating, is set to expire today. The deal that provided Iran with billions of dollars in sanctions relief that you oversaw, this uh, relief has subsidized the support for Hamas that enabled them to carry out like the ones we saw 11 days ago. This deal was so bad that Prime Minister Netanyahu had come to before the Congress to speak out against it. And you criticize that, um, and, and we're going to get to that in just here a second. The barbaric events of October 7th are a referendum on the disastrous Iran policy started under the Obama administration and continued under this Biden administration. The Biden administration needs to complete a complete overhaul in the way that we see Iran and how we deal with it. And my fear, Mr. Liu, is that you are more simply of the same. You just represent a continuation of that policy. So I have uh, some questions, and these are yes or no questions. Just I want to clarify some of the facts here um, on what you believe. Do you believe that the Biden administration should continue to restart the JCPOA talks? I don't think this is the moment uh, for us to be 
negotiating with Iran. I, I, I believe deeply that um, uh, an agreement to not have nuclear weapons would be a good thing, but this is not the moment. Um, Mr. Lewin, in 2017 at an event at Columbia University, did you say, quote, the personal dynamic between the president and the prime minister was not as good as one might have hoped, and it was both in both directions. I mean, I saw as much provocation coming from the prime minister, I saw more provocation coming in than I saw going out. Is that an accurate quote? I don't remember the exact words, but uh, it, 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 it is something that I said to a group of students, um, and it was a balanced statement where if, even what you read was uh, criticizing uh, my own uh, president as well. I th thought there was blame to go around. So when uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu came here in his 2015 speech, you, you, uh, did you criticize it, saying it went beyond the pale of what you, just, uh, what you can just ignore and that it was a huge mistake for Israel? I, I did think it was a mistake uh, to to have uh, something that would create a partisan uh, division over U.S. support for Israel, which for 75 years has been bipartisan. Uh, do you believe Israel should continue to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel? Jerusalem is recognized now as the capital of Jerusalem. There's no discussion of changing that. I, if confirmed, will be living in Jerusalem, and uh, that is the policy of the United States. And so you believe we should keep our embassy there? Well, we first need to build an embassy. Uh, we have a, a, a presence, but uh, having been Deputy Secretary of State, I know it takes a long time anywhere to build an embassy. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. I appreciate the extra time. If I can just make one point, uh, Mr. Chairman, if I can, because you said that, we, that this administration was negotiating to give Iran its money back. I think what this administration was doing was negotiating to bring Americans home who were being kept captive in Iran. And they made the judgment that releasing monies that were being held pursuant to policies of the prior administration could be moved in a way that Iran could use them as the prior administration had agreed to. That's very different from saying we're going to negotiate to give Iran money. So do you believe then it was appropriate then to release these funds to get our yes. hostage, or the yeah. people Iran was keeping uh, act like pay, basically paid to get those Americans out. Do you believe that was accurate? I, I, I can tell you that uh, bringing Americans home safely will be one of my highest priorities if I'm in Israel. And there are now Americans being held hostage in Gaza. And I don't know what it will take to do that, but I'll wake up every day asking, what can I do to bring Americans home safely? So, but you do believe that it was appropriate to pay Iran to get the yeah. Americans back? To tell you the truth, Senator, I'm not deeply enough familiar with it. I wasn't in government when the decision was made. I don't know all the trade-offs. I do know the passion that goes behind bringing Americans home safely. Right. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I appreciate your, your uh, Senator Murphy. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Um, I, I, for one, um, am damn glad we have a president who cares about bringing our hostages home. Uh, one of those individuals was a Connecticut resident with a lot of family in my home state. Their life has changed knowing that he is back home, uh, and I'm thankful we have a president who cares about that. Um, I'm proud of this committee for showing a real apolitical demonstration of support for Israel and an equally non-political condemnation of Hamas's unspeakable acts of brutality. I want to thank the chairman and the ranking member for leading us uh, through the last week and a half, and I want to thank you, um, Secretary Liu, for your continued deep commitment to your country and your commitment to serve. Um, I, I, I want to come back to this question of um, sanctions policy uh, during the period of time that we were administering the JCPOA and just you know, make sure that I have it right. Um, 
it sounds like Iranian access to the U.S. financial system was never on the table as part of any deal. And even if it were, frankly, it was unlikely that any financial institution would have engaged in these transactions due to the very obvious compliance risk. Um, Iran was pretty upset about that. And I'd just enter into the record, if I could, three articles from this period of time entitled Iran, U.S. at Odds Over Nuclear Sanctions Relief, Rouhani claims the U.S. is violating its commitments under the nuclear deal. Iran warns enduring sanctions threaten the nuclear deal. Without objection, it would be part of the record. So my understanding is that U.S. banks never facilitated transactions over compliance fears and that the Iranians found this deeply frustrating and, in fact, threatened to pull out of their side of the agreement because they felt that we were being too tough in administering and holding to non-nuclear sanctions. Is that an accurate description? It's certainly my recollection. Um, second, um, I want to talk to you about um, what's happening in the West Bank today. More than 58 Palestinians have been killed in the West Bank and East Jerusalem since October 7th. There's been nightly clashes between security services and protesters. Uh, settlers have attacked and destroyed Palestinian homes. Um, Obviously, our greatest priority is holding Hamas accountable, but a close second is making sure that this crisis doesn't spread. Um, how do you assess the Palestinian Authority's ability to maintain security in the West Bank? What's the path forward for the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank in light of its pretty diminished and shattered credibility? And is it a continued policy priority for the United States to do the things necessary to support the administration of justice inside the West Bank? You know, Senator, um, I have believed for a long time that if there's going to be any hope of a two-state solution, one of the foundations of any stable entity is the ability to have a legal system and a security system uh, in place. I was proud of the work we did over many years to build uh, the, the training and the uh, level of, uh, of re responsibility of Palestinian uh, security forces. And my understanding is that that is resumed and that there's bipartisan support for that activity. It's really hard. It's really hard to build a stable uh, force and it requires sustained engagement. And if I'm confirmed as ambassador, it, building those institutions is something that I will pay a great deal of attention to because I don't think you can have security and stability without a security force. Well, and I think it will be part of the work of, of this committee and this Congress in the coming days as we try to uh, put in place uh, the prophylactic measures to stop the spread of this conflict to make sure that we're supporting uh, the administration of the rule in law in Gaza, excuse me, in uh, the West Bank. Um, finally, I just want to ask you about a, a breakthrough agreement that got very little attention um, in the press, not as much as it should have. And this was uh, the agreement between Israel and Lebanon on uh, maritime rights. Um, obviously, our top priority now is preventing Hezbollah from opening up another front. Um, but I just wanted to make sure that one of your priorities um, uh, outside of the 
administration of this crisis and conflict is going to uh, continue to capitalize on the progress that has been made, um, remarkable progress between Israel and Lebanon uh, to create this maritime border, but to use it um, as a foundation to try to continue to ease and normalize relationships between these two historic adversaries. It's pretty extraordinary that Israel has now indigenous uh, natural gas resources and that it's a source of part of the ability to partner with other countries in the region to be able to help Europe uh, through a crisis because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And um, I must say that when I was in government the last time, it was a flicker of a dream to get there. I remember when Israeli officials came over to observe an energy uh, a, a license auction and my daughter, who's sitting behind me, was working at the Department of Interior and helped translate for them what was being said in English about energy auctions so they would understand it in Hebrew. And um, it's now a real resource. It's being developed. Um, it's not without its controversy. The borders are controversial. Maritime issues are not my area of great uh, expertise, but I will get up to speed on them very quickly uh, if confirmed. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Barrasso. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, you've heard from everyone here, Israel is one of our nation's strongest allies. Uh, since October 7th, the world has seen the terror and violence inflicted by Hamas, and all of us strongly condemn Hamas's invasion of Israel, which involved killing and wounding thousands of Israeli civilians. Americans were also among those injured and killed and taken hostage by Hamas. As Israel fights these terrorist attacks, the United States remains unwavering. You've heard that here today as well in our commitment to Israel's security. With the incredible challenges facing Israel, it's vital that we have the right person serving as the U.S. ambassador to Israel. And I think it's especially true in light of President Biden's repeated failed policies that I see as failed in the region. Today's nominee, I believe, seems to be the wrong person for this important job. And as Secretary of Treasury in the Obama administration, he helped negotiate the disastrous Iranian nuclear deal. In fact, he went about bag bragging about the flawed deal to American people. Secretary of Treasury, he unlocked a lot of Iranian assets and uh, let them have their money. He also uh, he really was an ATM to the Iranian Ayatollah. No, no one is going to forget the pallets of cash going to Iran, which was the largest state sponsor of terrorism. We know how they use the money. The Secretary of Treasury, he helped orchestrate $1.7 billion in cash to be flown in an unmarked cargo plane, cash directly to Iran. Also oversaw the $400 million ransom payment to Iran in exchange for American hostages. The massive influx of cash, ultimately a direct deposit into Iran's terrorism account. Additionally, in 2016, he defended the Obama administration's unwillingness to veto a UN Security Council resolution that was seen as an anti-Israel resolution. Congress, in a bipartisan way, disagreed with that position of the administration. In fact, we overwhelmingly passed a bipartisan resolution objecting to it and demanding that it be repealed. So, so here we are. These decisions, these actions have serious consequences, and I believe they have emboldened terrorist organizations around the globe, and that the American people and the Israeli people both deserve something different. So, Mr. Liu, Hamas soldiers have re reportedly been found with documents detailing their plans to target schools, target civilians during the raid. Another document directed Hamas units to kill as many as possible as well as capture hostages. 
four, over 4,000 dead, 31 Americans among those killed, others taken hostage. We've had the debate about how to best get them home. In terms of the American citizens, who's responsible for the, 32, the 31 Americans who have died in this conflict? Yeah, Senator, um, I, as Secretary of the Treasury, also uh, sanctioned Hamas and uh, took actions to try and stop the flow of money to Hamas. It's not a new thing that Hamas is a terrorist organization. I earlier offered some views that would challenge some of the characterization you just made of how the JCPOA did or didn't affect Hamas. The sad reality is Iran was supporting Hamas before JCPOA. They supported it during the period of maximum pressure. They will spend their first dollars on evil. They're not going to stop doing this, and Iran is a malign force. Iran provided the arms, they provided training. Whether they were involved in anything more proximate, I am not inside any circles of intelligence to know. Public information suggests that it may not have been as clear. I, if confirmed, I will keep my eye on Iran as a force that is hostile to Israel's existence. They are, want to push Israel into the sea, and we can't let that happen. Well, you know, the interesting point is that the failure of this administration to enforce the Iranian oil sanctions helped finance Hamas and other Iranian proxies. It's how you can stop the money, but a lot, we have allowed, this administration has allowed a lot of money to get there. Iran is the home of the world's third largest reserves of crude oil. It uses the revenue from its oil exports to support its repression and terrorist activities. The more money they have, the more activities we're going to see, in spite of all efforts to block it along the way. Uh, I repeatedly raised concerns about the impact of this administration refusing to enforce existing sanctions on the energy sector. In an attempt to convince Iran to rejoin this terrible Iranian nuclear deal, it seems that the president did relax sanctions enforcement on Iran to the point that Iran generated about $80 billion in oil revenue under, the, under this administration. Uh, Oman and Iran have signed a variety of deals in the oil and gas sector. China's state-owned refineries and private companies are buying up 1.2 million barrels of Iranian oil every day, and we're allowing that to happen. The Iranian regime is getting hundreds of billions of dollars to fund Hamas, Hezbollah, other terrorist proxies. So, so what, then why has this administration failed to fully enforce sanctions on entities involved in these illicit transactions with Iran, given the fact that every dollar they make they're going to use in a bad way. Well, Senator, first of all, um, the monies that uh, w were released um, were subject to being used only for humanitarian purposes for food and medicine. That was an arrangement reached in the last administration, not the current administration. So it's not just a, a new issue. Uh, and the intel that I was privy to back in the day when I had access to internal discussions suggested very clearly that um, the unmet needs were pressing and would need to be met. And that if there was leakage, it would be on the margin. It wouldn't change the direction of Iran's support. That's not a great answer. I, I, I'm not happy until they stop supporting people who commit the acts of butchery that we saw just days ago. And I have to tell you, as somebody who grew, I, I, I'm an observant Jew. I, I, I observe our festivals including the sad ones. There's days of the year when we read dirges about what human beings can do to each other that I never took literally until this month. I've never seen in my lifetime human beings treat other human beings face to face, eyeball to eyeball, 
the way Jews were slaughtered because they were Jews. That's at my core, Senator. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Booker. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Secretary Liu, it's very good to see you here. I was in Israel when the rockets attacks began and took shelter in the hotel bomb shelter and had the faces of people observing Simchas Torah all around me who couldn't check their phones, but we were seeing the dawning reality that this was not just a rocket attack, but the most heinous, grotesque attack on Jewish people since the Holocaust. It was sobering to understand that not just Hamas being a terrorist organization, but they were attacking other humans in ways with a barbarity that was just unimaginable. Uh, you know this well. Hamas is an organization that in its very founding is to kill Jews. And they have no consideration for the obvious of, of Israel's uh, uh, strength. They understood completely that they, as they scurried back into Gaza, that they would put uh, Palestinians' lives at risk. Uh, and it's clear from their history they don't care about uh, Palestinian lives. They have abducted Palestinians, tortured Palestinians, killed Palestinians, uh, all to pursue their terroristic aims. And we know that they have often focused on disrupting efforts towards peace after Oslo, uh, where Arafat and Rabin came to a great uh, accord. Uh, they began immediately attacking uh, Israelis, attacking civilians, bombing buses, and more. So I, I'm grateful you are sitting here now. I, I agree with many of my colleagues on the urgency to get you confirmed into the position. I will tell you, and it's been said by others, uh, uh, bipartisan uh, leaders are coming about who are talking to your character. I, I have rarely had a situation where someone sits before me where I've had calls from my Republican friends as well as Democratic friends who all testify. They may not agree with the policies of the administrations you've served, but they testify to your character. And that, to me, is a time, is a time that we need uh, principal people uh, leading in important positions. It gives me great uh, solace in this time of great despair and heartbreak that you will be stepping forward. I want to thank your family uh, for their commitment and their sacrifice as well. I want to start uh, with uh, just simply saying that last night, uh, I, along with uh, Senator Ernst and a bipartisan group of senators, sent a letter to President Biden urging the administration to continue their efforts with our regional partners to secure the release of almost 200 civilian hostages, including over a dozen uh, that are being held by Hamas. I'm assuming that that's going to be one of your uh, first and, and, and uh, principal duties. Absolutely, Senator. Um, I don't think any of us can rest until we know we've done everything we can do to bring people home safely. I'm, I'm grateful for the president's leadership at this time. I think it's been extraordinary. He is another person uh, that I got to know during a, a presidential primary of great character. Uh, I'm grateful that he's talking also a lot about humanitarian assistance and the fact that democracies are strong when they abide by the rule of law uh, and they take into account uh, humanitarian urgencies amidst uh, the, the pursuit of, uh, uh, of war. Um, once you're confirmed, you commit to doing everything in your power to facilitate the flow of humanitarian assistance to the people of Gaza and ensure that the innocent civilians and humanitarian aid workers are able uh, to, to seek shelter and get the resources they need uh, to help uh, minimize 
uh, consequences to civilian life. Senator, I think it's critical that we do everything we can to help innocent uh, civilians without giving uh, resources to terrorists who mean to do harm uh, to innocent Israelis. And I will work hard to do that. Even while we've been sitting here, I'm told that the president has committed $100 million in refugee assistance, that there are negotiations that have been concluded or are well underway to open a humanitarian corridor. Innocent civilians should not pay the price for terrorists. Terrorists should not hide behind innocent civilians. And it is just a, a, a necessity that we are in an environment now where it's very hard, very hard to separate the two populations. We have to try. I, I think that not only is it urgent that we show our resolute, unwavering, unequivocal support for Israel, I think those principles you just said as well, we should give that resolute commitment. I want to zoom out real quickly. Uh, um, I'm very committed to the larger, uh, uh, winning the war is, is, is what, uh, obviously there's a lot of focus on that right now against Hamas, eradicating Hamas, but winning the peace is, is critical as well, and thinking from a larger lens. The, the United States has been very focused on supporting Israel uh, uh, as well as supporting the larger regional peace that has been evolving since the Abraham Accords. Uh, I think it's, it's in, uh, an incredible sign that, that there was conversations going on with Palestinian leaders, uh, with the Saudis, in fact, their first visit to uh, the West Bank since 67, uh, to have conversations. MBS goes on Fox News and talks about uh, uh, every day moving closer towards normalization with Israel. Uh, and how Palestinians are, are center of that. I talked to U.S. negotiators about that. In fact, one of my purposes for my trip to Israel was to meet with Palestinian leaders as well as Israeli leaders about expanding the Abraham Accords and normalizations with Saudi Arabia and the principal uh, uh, part that the Palestinians would play going back towards a two-state solution. Just in closing, could you just give me some affirmation that that is also a, a, a very urgent part of your mission as well? I think it's critical uh, to get back to the business of addressing the strategic security and growth of the region. And the things you described are right at the core of it. And we have to do it in a way where the lives of Palestinians can improve and the security of Israel is not uh, put at jeopardy. I think going back into a serious discussion of expanding the Abraham Accords, which were very important to include Saudi Arabia and Israel normalizing relations is crucial. And I pledge to work with this committee, with Congress, with members on both sides, whether they support my nomination or not, to help that come about. I, I'm grateful for you sitting here and grateful for your willingness to serve and, and simply say, Yashar Kalach, thank you. As we would say, Baruch you should be blessed. <laughs> Senator Scott. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Lou, thank you for being here. Before I start asking questions of you, I do want to make a point that in many ways, Israel is now fighting a war on a different front in addition to the war with Hamas. It's a war of misinformation. Uh, there's no doubt, and unfortunately, the media carrying the false narrative regarding the hospital bombing, this narrative originated with Hamas the same people who murdered women and children, same people who burned babies, who beheaded little ones. And as a result of that lie carried by New York Times and the AP and others, a summit in Jordan was canceled. Other meetings that Biden had scheduled canceled. Literally protests around the globe at our embassies and an attempt, very clear and specific attempt, to weaken 
Israel's position. Rather than waiting for all the facts, they carried the Hamas narrative. That is dangerous. And it could be more costly in lives than the current conflict and the long-term impact of a misinformation campaign, frankly, a misinformation war, could be deadly to the efforts of Israel, deadly to the unified support coming from our nation, and something that we should all take very seriously as Americans. And we certainly do not need members of Congress from the squad being a part of the propaganda machine coming out of Washington, D.C. in support of Hamas. I think it's very dangerous. And these times, we need the truth. And the truth is incredibly important. And getting the facts should be necessary before reporting on this remarkable, frankly disgusting war that we're seeing perpetrated against Israel. Uh, you've heard a number of my colleagues talk about your role in the previous, the Obama administration and the impact that your role has had on resources being released through the JCPOA for Iran. And frankly, I think many of the questions are fair and your commentary is necessary. Iran policy is without question Israel policy. They are the greatest enemy that Israel faces and frankly, the greatest funders of terrorism, state funders of terrorism anywhere in the world. Uh, and we know that 90% of the funds that Hamas receives comes from Iran. And one of the things that we have debated and will continue to debate, I'm sure, the $6 billion paid for hostages when Obama paid $400 million. I said then several years ago that that will only raise the price on an American's head abroad, and $6 billion only makes it worse. I heard you say that the money can only be used for humanitarian aid. I will just say that while you see, while you see the president of Iran said it very clearly that they will use the money in any way they want to use the money, period. Beyond the fact that money is fungible is really important as well. My question for you, though, is that the administration insists that the $6 billion transfer is in no way associated with any efforts to renegotiate the nuclear deal. Although those efforts have been going on for secretly for, for months. And so my question to you is, do you believe that there are, are that without need to submit the, do you believe that there are any efforts going forward on a negotiation, and if there are, would there be a need for that to be submitted to Congress? So, uh, Senator, um, I'm not in the administration, and I'm not uh, privy to the current state of affairs. I'm not aware of any ongoing uh, negotiations, and I said earlier, this is not the moment. Um, even uh, if one believes that someday a negotiated uh, solution may be right. And I have to agree with something you said. It shouldn't be that hard to call out atrocities like we saw two weeks ago, not even two weeks ago. Some things are just what they are. Yes. And butchering almost 1,500 babies, old people, Holocaust survivors, hand-to-hand, face-to-face, is barbarism that whatever one thinks about the right and wrong of different positions in this conflict should be easy to call out. 
I'm proud uh, to see President Biden taking the stand that he's been taking. And even this morning, when I heard his comments on the horrible bombing of a hospital in Gaza, you know, he was not giving into disinformation. He was shooting straight. In the fog of the moment, you don't have perfect information. And he said, from everything he sees, it was not Israel that did it. That isn't changing where people out in the streets in some countries think it is. It's very dangerous, and you yeah. have to call out the facts. Well, one of the things that you just reminded me of a scripture, says, Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And one of the things that we've seen taking place today uh, in, for the last 10 days or so is the atrocities and the evil brought upon, brought upon the Jewish people uh, again. I assume that you would say that you had no actual clue what was happening in the administration, so not, not surprised by that. I would certainly say that some evidence suggests that, the, that their uranium enrichment activities began to taper off this summer, weeks before the transfer was announced. Uh, I know that I'm running short on time. It appears that the five minutes moves faster down here for me. So, uh, <laughs> Do I have another 30 the seconds? senator may proceed. Thank you very much, sir. Just a really quick uh, thought here, uh, Mr. Liu. You were the OMB director in 2011. My assumption is that when uh, President Obama made the decision to strike against Osama bin Laden and his compound, that you, you thought that was a good, good deal, good idea. I, I, I don't want there to be any confusion. The OMB director does not participate oh, in the yeah, targeting yes. decision like I, that. I'm under, I'm, <laughs> I've seen you as a Treasury Secretary yeah, and yeah, Finance Committee, yeah. so I recognize the I, role. I, I, I shared the feeling that it was a, a just action uh, to to address uh, an act of terrible murder in my city of New York and in other places. Yeah. Final comment is that the, over the weekend we saw IDF uh, will hunt, say they will hunt down every last man with the blood of Israel's children on their hands. Would you support Israel pursuing the perpetrators of this heinous attack on foreign soil as we did in 2011? Senator, I, I, I hesitate to answer a hypothetical question that I don't know the, the scope of. What I will, will say without condition is that Israel has not just a right, but as the president has said, the responsibility to defend its people. And as we were talking about earlier in this hearing, it's not for revenge. It's for defending your people. And uh, I think Israel has the right to do that, and they should do it, they will, by their basic nature, do it in a way yes. that tries to minimize collateral damage. Well, Chairman, you've been very gracious with the extension of my five and a half minutes, so I really appreciate that very much, sir. <laughs> i, I got to get your, your clock there. You, <laughs> you've extended the day. I don't know how you did it. It's, but, it's called football time, sir. I, I got <laughs> Senator Schatz. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Vice Chair. Um, thank you, Mr. Liu, for being here. Thank you to your family. Um, what does it, Israel mean to you? You know, Senator, um, I could answer that question as a former public official, that it's our most important ally in a critically important region of the world. Um, I could answer it um, as uh, somebody who grew up believing that the, the safety and security of the state of Israel was nothing less than the safety and security of Jews all over the world. So it's not a simple answer of what Israel means to me. Um, I have not always agreed with the policies of the government of Israel, and some people have questioned my relationship with Prime Minister Netanyahu. 
We have disagreed on many issues. We've known each other for over three decades, but it's been with the kind of respect and confidence that each has the interest of the security of the state of Israel always deep inside them. It is, I think, worth noting that the most ferocious disagreements regarding Israel happen at family dinners <laughs> uh, among Jews. Um, and so um, even now, the dialogue in Israel is a little more cacophonous even than the dialogue in the United States, just worth noting. Can you talk a little bit about the need for a full-fledged Senate-confirmed ambassador on the ground? And I know we sort of gloss over it and say it's important, the Charge is doing a good job, but we need a person there. But tell me how, as a practical matter, uh, it makes a difference to have a Senate-confirmed ambassador on the ground. You know, Senator, it, it, it's interesting because a short period of time has kind of changed how I would answer that question. Um, two weeks ago, I would have said, with the Middle East not on the front burner, but it remaining a central core issue of importance, having a confirmed ambassador who clearly represents, a, is a representative of the president with the president's ear, with a history of public service that's well understood, was critically important because it wasn't getting the attention of the president and the secretary of state the way it had in previous times when peace talks were the central focus. Today, the president is in Israel. The secretary of state has been in the region for a week. Um, clearly, there's an enormous amount of attention at the very highest level of our government. But God willing, there will be a moment not too far from now when the war is not the central issue and the future is. Once the future is the issue again, having a confirmed ambassador is crucially important. And I say that with the greatest respect for our foreign service officers. I was deputy secretary of state. I don't know our current charge personally. We've met over Zoom and phone uh, just in these past weeks. But I've developed the highest regard for her and have only heard very strong things. It's not a criticism of the people who step in. It's actually to their credit, they have the capacity to step in and step up, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a confirmed ambassador. Two more questions, um, specifically about the West Bank. Um, just your thoughts on how we prevent this conflict from metastasizing. And obviously, there are geopolitical implications and a regional war that we're worried about, um, but it seems to me that one of our primary objectives ought to be to prevent conflict in the West Bank, and then we've got two fronts in this war, in this conflict. I'd like your thoughts on that. So um, I think preventing this from becoming a multi-front war is hugely important for Israel, for the region, for the world. I think the decision that the president made to dispatch um, the, 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 the aircraft carrier fleet, uh, Gerald Ford, uh, and now to have a second aircraft carrier group on the way, is a powerful, powerful message to anyone who thinks that this should be a moment of opportunity to take advantage of. I dearly hope that we don't have to use those resources. You deploy those resources in order not to have to use them. Well, but they demonstrate the capacity should you need to. One comment and then one question. It seems to me that as, as some of, of our colleagues have tried to sort of poke holes in your resume and, and, and justify a no vote, that your primary transgression is that you worked for Democrats in the past. I mean, that's what this is. And, um, and, and I think it's important, I think it's fair, actually, 
that if someone disagrees so vehemently about the JCPOA, fair enough. But to challenge your character, to say that you lied when you didn't, to characterize a partisan report as a bipartisan report when it wasn't, is unfair to you. It's unfair to all public servants who put themselves uh, uh, at that table. Final question, I want to take it for the record just to uh, stay on time. I think Senator Scott's question about the kind of fog of war and the new information um, warfare and the complications of social media and deep fakes and just uh, a toxic stew, especially on the internet. There's lots of lying and warfare in any case, but it can be accelerated um, and, uh, and it's just worse than ever. And I would just like your thoughts um, for the record um, later on what you think the ambassador can do to be a reliable, consistent source of information in this information age, which probably means you're looking at three to four hour increments of posting reliable information. I, people know I'm on Twitter. I, I shut down the app because I can't find anything um, that I can rely upon. And, and I think that's not a small thing um, if people don't know where to go for good information. Ironically, Senator, I've never used social media. And good. I've been told that if I if confirmed, I will have to learn how. <laughs> well, uh, my recommendation is have someone do it for you. Thank you. <laughs> Senator Haggerty. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Secretary Liu, I'd like to turn to an area that you know well. That's Israel's sworn enemy, Iran. I want to ask you a very simple question. Is the security of America, the security of Israel, better or worse if Iran has more funds or less funds? Senator, I, I think that my actions have demonstrated that denying Iran funds uh, when they commit malign acts is something that is in our interest. I have sanctioned Iran. I have enforced sanctions on Iran. And the fact that in an agreement to roll back Iran's nuclear program, releasing funds to Iran was part of the bargain, is the way sanctions work. You don't get sovereign countries to change their policy without some concession on the sanctions. Well, uh, regarding the concessions, I just want to say that Iran, as we know, funds its proxies, Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, Biden administration officials have very recently just admitted this fact. Last week, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said, and I quote, Iran has provided the lion's share of the funding for the military wing of Hamas. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby, another quote, Hamas wouldn't have been able to function at all had it not been for propping up by the Iranian regime. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to enter both of these quotes for the record. Without checking, yeah. I'll give the, the senator the additional time. If you're showing a poster, it'd be nice if the committee could see the poster. Just Certainly. So you know. Certainly. Um, we have a second one. Can you place that right there, Daniel, in front of the secretary? The other posters, the chairman would like to be able to see it too. Don't you have a second copy of it? Just a moment, Mr. Chairman. Uh, but I that's a different uh, poster. They're different uh, posters. No, uh, sorry, we'll turn that turn that a bit to show the chairman. It's a very simple poster. What I, I have to confess, Senator, I can't read it either, so I, I don't know exactly. <laughs> I'll, what I'll explain what it is, Mr. Secretary. It's a year by year poster showing the revenues going to Iran. 
It shows what happened when the maximum pressure campaign was imposed. I worked on that maximum pressure campaign, stopping the Japanese from buying Iranian crude. They stopped. We brought their revenues, Iranian revenues, down to below $8 billion. You'll see that in 2020. That's the low point on this chart. Then in 2021, these are the last two bars. 2021 and 2022, you see a dramatic increase in revenues to Iran. Now think about this. In 2020, in, 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 as the maximum pressure campaign was imposed, it was widely reported that Hamas and Hezbollah were going broke. In 2021, we had the violence from Gaza into Israel, the 11-day war. We've seen what's happened now. So I'm going to come back to my question again and ask, what's changed? Well, Senator, I, 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 can't, I can't read it. I can't comment on the specific numbers there. And candidly, it's seven years. I'll explain the numbers policy. I, but I can tell you two things. First, what was true when I was at the Department of Treasury and what has been true since, even during the period of maximum pressure, is that Iran has put funding malign activities like support for Hamas terrorism above everything else. And it doesn't cost that much. So they have been bad actors when they've had a lot of oil revenue, when they've had less oil revenue. I don't doubt that, but the effectiveness of it has been dramatically different based on the impact of the maximum pressure campaign. And again, you can see the magnitude of this chart. Yeah, but I, I'm, I was trying to make a slightly different point. If I understand what this chart says, the funds into Iran went down. I'm saying well, 2020, the then 2021 and 22, I, they've I, gone up dramatically. I'm not aware that funding for Hamas and Hezbollah went down. I, you know, I, 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 I will get briefed I on that. I think you're aware I'm of sure. the results of it, Mr. Mr. Secretary. And in terms of what's changed, I think it's very obvious what's changed. Joe Biden was inaugurated in 2021. The maximum pressure campaign was abandoned. And now a policy of appeasement has been undertaken with Iran. That's what's allowed them to enrich themselves. Let me turn to another area of great concern, and that is the special envoy for Iran, Rob Malley. He's now suspended. His security clearances have been lifted, and he's under federal investigation. Do you know Rob Malley? I haven't. Uh, no, I, yes, I've known him. I haven't talked to him in years. Did he undertake efforts to quash sanctions enforcement on Iran? Um, I do not recall uh, Rob Malley having a role in the enforcement of sanctions. <laughs> well, very obviously, something has dramatically changed here. And it's clear to me that the Biden administration's enforcement of sanctions against Iran is every bit as ineffective as the Biden administration's enforcement of our border security. Everything and everyone gets through, and the results have been deadly. I just want to say this. If you're selected to be chief of mission, your number one priority is going to be the safety and security of Americans. Absolutely. We've already lost 30 American lives. 13 are held hostage. That needs to be your absolute priority, Mr. Secretary. Uh, Senator, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I, and I've said earlier in this hearing, uh, there won't be a day when I wake up where that isn't top of mind. Well, it is clear to me that this administration does not have our safety and security at interest because of this enrichment of Iran that has allowed this type of behavior to happen. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And the chair has been very um, lenient, well, allowing members to pursue the, the nuclear issues with Iran. I just would like to point out, we do have a nominee for the Office of Sanctions Coordinator, and I hope that we can get a hearing on that nominee, because I think that would be the appropriate place to talk about sanctions enforcement and previous policies concerning sanction enforcement. So I hope we can get a hearing on that, and I think that would probably be the more appropriate setting 
for us to deal with the sanction policies. Just pointing it out to my dear friend Mr. from Chair, Tennessee. And, and, my, and with, with the deepest respect, um, the chief of mission will be the president's representative in Israel. Oh, I understand. The and I, I think the policies are absolutely critical because Israel is in mortal danger, as are Americans. And this funding program that's been allowed to go on is absolutely critical to Iran's ability to fund their proxies like Hamas and Hezbollah. We've got to acknowledge this, recognize it, and deal with it. Thank you very much, sir. Senator Merkley. Uh, Mr. Secretary, uh, uh, thank you. We're all aware that Gaza is one of the most densely populated places in the world, 139 square miles, an average of 17,000 people per square mile. If you are confirmed, will you work with Israel, with the government of Israel, to minimize the harm to civilians? Senator, I think minimizing the harm to civilians is something that is a, a moral obligation, and I only wish uh, one could say that there would be no collateral damage, but as we've learned in war, there is, and the goal, as you put it, is to minimize. Will you, if you are confirmed, work with Israel to make sure that schools and hospitals and power and water systems are not targeted? Uh, Senator, I, if, if, if confirmed, uh, I will work with Israel to underscore what President Biden, as I think, said very eloquently, that they have a right and a responsibility to defend Israel, but that what binds us together is a shared belief in democracy and rule of law, including the law of war. Do you agree that schools, hospitals, power and water systems should not be targeted? So I, 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 I'm unable to answer the hypothetical question because um, there are cases where Hamas is hiding behind civilians with material, command centers, leaders. And how you define something as a school Thank or a command post it makes uh, all the difference in the world. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. I will, I will state for the record that I believe schools and hospitals and power and water systems should not be targeted. And uh, Mr. Chairman, I'd like to put into the record, if there's no objection, an article uh, by Thomas Friedman, Why a Gaza Invasion Once and for All Thinking Are Wrong for Israel. If no objection, thank, thank you uh, very much. Um, Mr. Friedman uh, points out uh, and, uh, that Iran's number one strategic objective with Israel has been to ensure that Israel remains enmeshed in the West Bank and Iran's most fevered dreams reoccupies Gaza. Uh, do you agree with Mr. Friedman's analysis? Um, I, I think Hamas's goal is the elimination of Israel, and they will pursue any uh, strategy that they think advances that goal. So no, I, I know you're not specifically responding to yeah. Mr. Friedman's quote, but I, could you? I, 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 I would rather read it, the whole thing in context. Uh, Tom is okay. a friend of mine, but before I agree or disagree with something, I really would need to read okay. it. Okay. Well, I think it's pretty accurate. Uh, he's uh, uh, yeah. notes that keeping it, Iran's goal to keep Israel enmeshed in the West Bank and most fevered dream in, in Gaza does, does reflect a lot of intelligence and experience information over, over time. He then uh, lays out that if there is a ground offensive into Israel, it could have numerous impacts, including blowing up the Abraham Accords, destabilizing Egypt and Jordan as key allies, making normalization of relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia impossible, and notes that these would be huge strategic setbacks, both for the United States and for Israel. Do you agree with him? You know, Senator, I think that the, the task of any uh, nation to defend its people um, 
forces leaders to make very hard decisions. I can't sit here today and say I know with precision what it is that will defend the state of Israel and the people of Israel. Um, I believe that the government of Israel will try to make those decisions in a way that will be successful but not uh, lead to the kind of long-term entanglement that I believe that's, uh, that, that, that comment is referred to. I, I, you know, I, at the moment, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and uh, prejudge exactly where that line yep. is. Uh, but the point Mr. Friedman's making is that these are key strategic objectives of the United yeah. States, that we have stakes in the region, and that there are huge risks of the entanglement that comes with the ground uh, offensive. And, uh, and quite frankly, I think he's pretty accurately described those risks. He concludes by noting it will play into Iran's strategy of sucking Israel into an overstretched uh, situation and weaken the Jewish democracy from within. I just want to make the point that we also have important uh, strategies and goals as a nation that our diplomat, our ambassador, will bring into the conversations uh, and that we need to have an ambassador who's, who's willing and able yeah. uh, to, to bring that discussion to bear. And you, you do have the experience to bring insights on the potential impacts that affect both Israeli interests and American interests. And I assume you're going to do that as ambassador. Senator, I hope I've demonstrated over my career that um, I, uh, I'm not shy about sharing uh, what I believe to be uh, the right policy. I've never been shy to defend the interests of the United States. And I've tried to do it in a way where I can maintain relations with people I disagree with. I've had many conversations with the Prime Minister of Israel where we haven't agreed, and we have a relationship where I believe he has trust in me. So I, I will be in a position to raise issues. Um, I just can't sit here today and say exactly what the lines will be in the fog of war. Uh, I am uh, deeply uh, empathetic with the people of Israel after this horrific uh, slaughter by Hamas. Uh, just shocking and devastating and, and, and savage. Uh, I also believe that we have a responsibility to do everything we can to work with Israel to defend innocent Palestinians who are as much victims of Hamas as many others and um, that that needs to be part of the effort that we carry Absolutely. forward. Absolutely. And, and as, I, as I said earlier, even while we've been sitting here, agreement was reached uh, to our humanitarian corridors. The president committed $100 million to humanitarian relief. I don't have the details. I just have a note that those, uh, those things happen while we've been sitting here. And I think that's crucially important. Thank you. Senator Young. Mr. Liu, welcome. Uh, congratulations on your uh, nomination to this important position. Grateful for uh, your desire to serve the country in this capacity. But before I, I begin, uh, thank you for the conversation we had in my office. It was frank. It was open. I recognize that uh, if you're confirmed, you'll be taking a critical role at an incredibly challenging time, but uh, it is now even more challenging because of the role that Iran has been permitted to have in outfitting, encouraging, and possibly directing, we don't know for sure, the terrorist acts uh, of its uh, regional proxies. So uh, we don't know the breadth of, of some of those uh, directives. When we spoke, we spent 
uh, quite a bit of time on Iran and your former role as Treasury Secretary. I know that's been subject of, of a lot of conversation today, including the role that Treasury played in implementing the financial aspects of the Obama administration's Iran deal. I wanted to follow up on some of my questions in the hope that you've had a chance to review the particulars of our discussion and Treasury's role. When Treasury issued specific licenses, as opposed to the general licenses, to enable the conversion of Iranian funds into euros, was this transaction directly connected to the financial relief at the core of the JCPOA and associated UN resolutions, or was it connected to so-called side deals, for example, between Iran and the IAEA that were kept from Congress? Now, this distinction matters because I believe it lies at the heart of how Congress was left in the dark uh, before and after the JCPOA was negotiated and went into effect. Please respond. Senator, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to just talk with me about these issues yesterday, and it was a, a, a frank and candid discussion. Uh, I'm grateful for that. Um, <laughs> I apologize that I have not had time. I've been working nonstop since uh, the meeting I was in with you, and it's not a simple matter to go back and refresh uh, your memory on details, some of which I might not have even okay. been I'd, aware I'll of. I'll follow up yeah. in writing. I, I'd okay. be happy to follow up. All right, thank you. I'd like to turn to U.S. assistance to the Palestinians. Uh, the Palestinian Authority, to this day, maintains a martyrs fund that subsidizes and incentivizes acts of violence and terror against the people of Israel. Given the ongoing conflict and the possibility that Israel's enemies may seek to expand the assault on Israel, we must impose a higher level of scrutiny on U.S. assistance, both bilateral and through multilateral organizations like the United Nations, to ensure that any future U.S. aid does not support this reprehensible policy and that no U.S. dollars support acts of terrorism. If confirmed, Mr. Liu, how will you use your role, including the role you must exert over U.S. policy towards the Palestinian leadership and people, to ensure that any U.S. assistance, including through multilateral institutions like UNRWA, does not directly or indirectly support terrorist activities or violate the Taylor Force Act. Senator, um, I don't believe that there's anything tolerable about paying people to commit acts of terrorism and murder and paying families of so-called martyrs, to me, is just immoral. And I will do everything I can as ambassador to bring that to bear both in our bilateral assistance and in our engagement with international partners. If confirmed, it's something that, that it's, a, it's a very difficult relationship in international organizations, and I've engaged in those conversations before, and I've taken tough in issues to international partners before, and it would be something that I would look forward to working with you and this committee on to make sure that it's center uh, on our attention. Uh, relatedly, uh, thank you, Mr. Liu. Uh, how will you use your role in conjunction with collaboration with other U.S. ambassadors in the region uh, to urge that donors, especially within the region, uh, both heavily restrict and ensure oversight over financial support to the Palestinian Authority and to nominally humanitarian and aid organizations operating in the West Bank and Gaza. 
So I, I have um, started uh, just reaching out to some of the other ambassadors in the region, uh, some of whom I've known and some of whom I haven't. Um, I think it is a responsibility of the chief of mission in Israel to work closely with ambassadors in other countries, to work with the State Department. And I don't think it's an easy one-size-fits-all answer because there are different countries with different relationships, with different benefits to the United States you know, involved. And um, they're not new issues to me. Uh, I, I've engaged in these conversations from other seats. Uh, I think it's important, and it's something that I would be doing for the first time as a chief of mission. Thank you, Mr. Liu. Uh, I have no further questions. I'm over my time. <laughs> and uh, Senator Shaheen. Actually, it's Senator Van Hollen. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Mr. Secretary, uh, welcome. Uh, thank you and your family for taking on this awesome responsibility at this horrible time. Um, I've known you for a long time. We've not always agreed on everything, although we usually do. I've always known you as a person of great integrity. Thank you, Senator. As I told you when we met uh, in my office yesterday, uh, I woke up on October 7th to hear the horrible news of the Hamas terrorist attack. And my mind immediately went to Kibbutz Kafar Aza which was a kibbutz that I had visited in late June. It's three kilometers from the border with Gaza, where 50 residents were murdered, including women, children, babies, and elderly killed in their homes, people abducted. So yes, Israel not only has a right, but it does have a responsibility to defend itself and to go after Hamas and end its operational control in Gaza. I think you would also agree, I just want to make sure, as you take on this position, you agree that it's both in America's interest and Israel's interest that the war be prosecuted in accordance with international law and the rules of war. Yes, I do. To that end, uh, I was pleased that as we're gathered here, uh, there was an announcement um, in Israel uh, where President Biden said, the, quote, the people of Gaza need food, water, medicine, and shelter. And the report indicates that we may have some agreement with the Israeli government to allow convoys to cross the Gaza-Egyptian border. It's gonna be very important that that work swiftly and effectively. Uh, as I told you yesterday from reports on the ground, the current rationing of water in Gaza is about a liter a day, which is not sufficient to sustain human life. People have already begun drinking farm water, agricultural water. There's a great fear from all the humanitarian specialists on the ground about the spread of disease, waterborne disease. So it's gonna be essential in limiting the harm to innocent civilians, two million people in Gaza, half of them children, that we get this humanitarian quarter open right away. I also hope you will ask the government of Israel to open up more of the pipes. There was an announcement the other day about it opening a pipe by the National Security Advisor. Turned out it was one pipe and at least initially only three hours a day. So that's gonna be really important. And it's not only a moral responsibility for the United States and Israel. It's also in our interest because the world has embraced Israel in the moment of horror but unnecessary human suffering in Gaza 
will change people's public perceptions. Now, you've been nominated by the President of the United States, uh, so I just want to confirm that you agree with some of the things the Commander-in-Chief just said in the last couple days. Number one, the vast majority of Palestinians are not Hamas, and Hamas does not represent the Palestinian people. Do you agree? I do agree with that. I think the vast majority of the Palestinian people are being used as pawns by Hamas and as human shields. So, and I agree with you. Um, I ask that one of the first meetings you undertake, if you're nominated, uh, is to meet with our three-star general, General Fenzel, who is the commander that works with both the Israelis and the Palestinian Authority. Will you agree to do that? Well, I don't know General Fenzel, but even when I was uh, Deputy Secretary of State, I met with his predecessor on each of uh, my visits uh, to Israel. And as I said earlier, the mission that uh, that office has is critical to creating the possibility of stability in any Palestinian uh, Well, let me, let me just say, uh, Mr. Secretary, and I mentioned this to you earlier, a lot of U.S. government reporting right now has indicated that while the world is focused on the, what's happening in Gaza, there are extreme settlers on the West Bank that, as we speak, are seizing more and more Palestinian lands in Area C. That will strengthen Hamas in the West Bank and undermine the legitimate Palestinian voices. So I hope you'll look into that right away. Let me also just say, <clears throat> since you opened your testimony with a sort of looking to the next day in some spirit of optimism, I do hope that we can expand the Abraham Accords. I do think we can get back to discussions between, of normalization of relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel. 20 senators wrote to the president before this horror started and said that that agreement will only bring lasting peace and stability to the Middle East if it addresses the Palestinian issues, the legitimate Palestinian questions, as President Biden has said, giving them equal measures of justice and dignity. Do you agree? Senator, I have uh, believed before this war and since that in order for there to be an agreement, there would need to be attention paid to the Palestinian issues. Um, I think we're at a moment now where the, the in the midst of a war with a country that is torn apart by grief. Um, it's probably not the right time to start that conversation again, but after this war is over, it has to be part of the conversation. I raised it, Mr. Secretary, because you did in your opening comments. Yeah. No, I do think it's important to look to the day after yeah. and there, see there, if we can create any, any hope in this moment of darkness. I, I have long believed that the, the path towards a long-term, stable Middle East and a democratic and Jewish Israel is a two-state solution. One has to deal with this issue if one is going to be on that path. We agree. Thank you. Senator Cruz. Mr. Secretary, welcome. You and I had a vigorous conversation in my office yesterday. You said at the time, Nobody could have imagined what happened in Israel with this terror attack. I have to say I disagreed then and I disagree now. Many of us not only imagined, we predicted it. You were a critical player in the Obama administration's campaign of appeasement with Iran. You played a pivotal role in flooding over $100 billion to the Iranian regime. The Biden administration has continued that policy, flooding nearly an additional $100 billion to the Iranian regime. 
That policy of appeasement, sending hundreds of billions of dollars to a theocratic, homicidal, genocidal maniac who leads chants of death to America and death to Israel, has proven catastrophic. The death squads in Israel from Hamas are funded in real and meaningful ways by the billions of dollars the Obama administration and now the Biden administration has flowed directly to Iran. That has proven disastrous. We also have drones. As you know, today, the UN arms embargo on Iran expires. Today, ironically, the day of your hearing. You were pivotal in advocating for UN Resolution 2231, the Iran deal, which is why the arms embargo is expiring today. On October 7th, Hamas used swarms of sophisticated drones in their October 7th attack. Do you believe the world is safer today because of 2231 and the expiration of the arms embargo allowing Iran now to sell uh, inter uh, ballistic missiles and long-range drones? Senator, I, I, I think you would have to agree that the history of the U.S. engagement on GC, JCPOA has changed substantially since I sat you, in this room. Do you think the world no, is better no, but, and safer with the arms but, embargo expired? But, Senator, if the U.S. was not... Was, if, if, yes or no? Are we safer today with, with no arms embargo? I think it's much more complicated than that because we're not part of JCPOA. Therefore, there was no extension of the arms embargo. I would have advocated for an extension of the arms embargo, and we might well have. And, and by the way, the Biden administration has been in power two and, a half, yeah. two and a half years. The arms embargo is expiring yeah. today, and you were pivotal in that happening. Let's shift to another thing because the Biden administration didn't just send money to Iran in massive numbers. It has also sent money to Gaza that went to Hamas. And at the time, I led a coalition of senators urging the Biden administration, do not send money to Gaza because it is controlled by Hamas. It will be used by Hamas for acts of terrorism. We now know that the Biden administration reached the following determination, and I quote, due to its overall strength and level of control over Gaza, we assess that there is a high risk Hamas could potentially derive indirect, unintentional benefit from U.S. assistance to Gaza. High risk. Now, as Treasury Secretary, you're familiar with these determinations. Under ordinary anti-terrorism laws, you can't send money where there's a high risk it'll be used for terrorism. But what did the Biden administration do? It waived our anti-terrorism law because their political agenda was so important they were willing to take that high risk. Was it a mistake to send hundreds of millions of dollars to Gaza that in a very real and practical way funded the death squads and funded the rockets that are being used to murder Israelis? Senator, I was not in government at the time these decisions were made. Was I'm it not, a mistake? I'm not, I'm not familiar with the back and forth that you're referring to, but my understanding is the funding that went to Gaza was for things like the hospital and, and humanitarian. So purpose. was OFAC wrong when it concluded there's a high risk that Hamas could de derive benefits? Yeah. Senator, I, I would have to look at the document. to have high You were one of few people that has the expertise yeah. no, to I, do this. I have high regard for OFAC. Um, I, I, I just am not familiar with the document. So is the world safer or less safe because hundreds of millions of dollars were sent to Gaza when it's controlled by Hamas? Senator, Hamas's activities 
have proven how evil they are and how important it is okay, to so deny So you're not answering resources. that question. Let me a a a ask this question. But I will say the this, Biden Senator, the Treasury has repeatedly undermined Israel as this attack was, was ongoing. Within hours of the attack commencing, the State Department sent out a tweet from the Office of Palestinian Affairs, an office that would report to you if you're confirmed, that said, we unequivocally condemn the attack of Hamas terrorists and the loss of life that is incurred. We urge all sides to refrain from violence and retaliatory attacks. Terror and violence solve nothing. Do you agree with this tweet that was sent by the Biden State Department? Uh, uh, Senator, I, I, I have, would have to read it. I, I, I'm not familiar with it. You're not familiar I, with it. I, 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 want, I, want, I want to go back to the last point uh, that you hold, made. Hold on a second. That, what do you, you're not familiar with this tweet. They sent it out at 3 in the morning while the attacks were unfolding. I blasted it at 3 in the morning, and they deleted it within the hour because it was shameful. They were telling telling Israel, do not respond while your citizens are being murdered. And by the way... I, 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 the, the President of the United States has stated clearly the policy of the United States. I, I agree, I agree with Mr. the President Lew, of the United Lew, States. I understand, but at the same time, this administration repeatedly walks back what he says. So here's another tweet sent from the State Department. Turkish Foreign Minister and I spoke, this is from Secretary Blinken, spoke further on Hamas's terrorist attack on Israel. I encourage Turkey's advocacy for a ceasefire and the release of all hostages held by Hamas immediately. Do you agree with this tweet from the Secretary of State calling for a ceasefire immediately after this attack began? I think the President and the Secretary of State have made clear that Israel has a right and a responsibility to defend itself. Do you agree with this tweet itself. from the State Department? Senator, I can't respond to tweets that, that you're reading to me. I, 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 Why, are you, you not familiar with it? I'm you, telling you, you haven't followed what the administration has said I, on this? By I, the way, they deleted this tweet as well. Day after day after day, this administration has systematically undermined Israel. And finally, you advocated for UN Resolution 2334, which declared much of Israel illegally occupied territory, including the, the Jewish quarter in Jerusalem and the Western Wall. Do you believe the Jewish quarter and the Western Wall are illegally occupied territory? Senator, I, I uh, do not uh, believe that, that it is illegally occupied territory. Then why did you support a UN resolution I, saying that it is? I think the, the, we could have a conversation about that, but it's going to take me more than 10 seconds to respond to it, which All I'd the time you like. Do. Uh, allow the witness to respond, if you allow the witness to respond. Yeah. So first, I'm, if I can respond, you've said a lot of things that you have not given me a chance to respond to. I sanctioned Hamas in 2015. Hamas was sanctioned again today. So I don't think it was a fair characterization of either what I did or this administration. You know, second of all, the, 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 the issue of a UN resolution is it's, it was a UN resolution that all the parties had to agree to that was negotiated to take out the most offensive provisions. Whether it was a good or a bad resolution in the end, the president decided to abstain rather than have a worse resolution come out. You can agree or disagree with that. You could have package, vetoed it. But he was trying to prevent a worse resolution. You could have vetoed out. it. So. The time has expired. Senator Duckworth. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, thank you for being here, Secretary Liu. Who walked away from the JCPOA? Which administration? It was the last administration. That's what I thought. Um, Thank you for your willingness to serve once again. I just need to pause here and take a moment to say that my heart is hurting. Ever since October 7th, I've been thinking endlessly of the children, the innocent children, Israeli, Palestinian, and even Illinoisan, 
whose lives have been upended or tragically ended during these devastating days. Every night I go home and I hug my two little girls close, haunted by the suffering of the innocents. They are too young, my girls, to understand why I'm so upset and why I'm holding them so tightly. But there are countless families who won't get the chance to hug their children close any longer, and my heart breaks for all of them. Of those Americans presumed to be held hostage by Hamas, many have ties to my home state of Illinois, whether themselves being Illinoisans or by a family member or friend who has reached out to my office asking for help. Their families and friends are advocating tirelessly for their release, for their access to basic medical care, and for information about their loved ones. At the same time, Jewish and Muslim communities around the world are feeling deep emotional wounds from the violence. We are sadly already seeing hate crimes spring up in the wake of the war. Like this past weekend's horrific fatal stabbing of an innocent six-year-old Palestinian-American, Wadia Al-Fayoume, in Plainfield, Illinois. This shocking and tragic murder is a painful reminder that we must confront and reject any Islamophobic rhetoric that seeks to conflate the evils of Hamas with the Palestinian people or with any with a vast majority of Muslim uh, people. Just as we must confront and reject the anti-Semitic rhetoric that seeks to draw a false equivalence between the democratically elected government of Israel and the terrorist organization of Hamas. As ambassador, you would play a critical role in helping to strike the right tone for these very difficult and complex conversations while demonstrating the United States' long-term resolve and right commitment to support our Israeli allies. I believe that you will serve and represent our interests well as a voice for democratic values that rejects hate and discrimination on the basis of race, religion, or ethnicity and ground us in our shared rights to live in peace and build a better future together, but also in Israel's right to defend herself Secretary Liu, I want to invite you to reflect on that work and the role you hope to play if confirmed to be our ambassador. You know, Senator, um, I find acts uh, and beliefs of, of, of bias and hatred against people because of who they are or what they are just totally unacceptable. And when it's manifested in acts of violence, whether it's against a Jew or a Muslim, it's equally horrible. What I've said about the attacks in Israel is that Almost 1,500 people were killed because they were Jewish. If it had been 1,500 Muslims who were killed because they were Muslims, that would be a problem too. We have to try and humanize these issues and understand that it's Hamas that's the enemy. It's not Palestinians who are the enemy. Now, Hamas hides behind Palestinians. It creates terrible, terrible choices in terms of how you defend yourself. But at the core, there has to be mutual respect, and hopefully more than respect if we can get to a better place. Do you agree that Israel has the right to defend herself? Absolutely. Do you agree that the core tenet of, one of the core tenets of Hamas is to destroy Israel? Absolutely. Do you agree that the innocents in Gaza uh, deserve to have access to secure humanitarian corridors so yes. that there is access? A and I'm pleased that even this morning progress has been made on that front. Thank you. If confirmed, can you commit to working to address both the urgent and underlying humanitarian needs in Gaza, including establishing secure humanitarian corridors, access for key medical workers like the Red Cross, and access to food, water, and sanitation for the people in Gaza? I think it, we must continue to do that, and if confirmed, that will be part of my mission, and it will have to be done in a way that respects the security of Israel, and the two do not have to be inconsistent. Thank you. I yield back, Mr. Chairman.
Senator Shaheen. Very thank patient, you, Mr. Senator Shaheen. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, Secretary Liu, for your willingness to come back in and serve the government, particularly at this difficult time. And I know that your nomination occurred before this horrible tragedy in Israel and in the Middle East. And so it's a very different situation than the one you were nominated for. I think the anger and outrage that you've heard reflected um, on the committee is um, a reflection of how people are feeling worldwide towards what's happening, both in terms of the horrific attack in Israel by Hamas, but also the concern about the innocent um, Palestinians and Israelis who are, have been killed. Um, I do appreciate what I've seen coming out of Israel in terms of the country coming together. And I appreciated both the chairman and ranking members' um, statements, which I think reflect the committee's concern. I, I, I hope that this will not be um, used as an opportunity to sow partisan divides here in the United States and in Congress, because I think that's the wrong response. Um, what we should be talking about is how we can um, support Israel, how we can address um, the humanitarian needs of the Palestinians, how we can get the hostages back. And I hope that's gonna be the focus of the discussion. And as you said, that you will get up every day um, thinking about how we return the hostages to America um, the Americans who are held, I think, is reassuring. So. And, and, Senator, uh, I couldn't agree more uh, that this should be a moment where we try our best to rise above partisanship and talk about what's in the interest of the U.S., what's in the interest of Israel, and what's in the interest of the U.S.-Israel relationship. One of the things about this relationship is that for 75 years it's been a bipartisan effort. Absolutely. I'm committed to working with Democrats and Republicans, people who agree or disagree with me, people who vote for me, and people who vote against me. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and I know that to be the case based on having worked with you when you were in uh, the Obama administration. Um, I do want to raise a couple of issues that I think are important um, for you as um, if you're confirmed as ambassador. And that is um, Senator Murphy talked about the maritime um, border decision that had been made between Lebanon and um, Israel. And we've heard a lot of discussion in the last week about the potential for a northern front on um, Lebanon's border with Israel. One of the institutions that I think is helpful in that respect is uh, the Lebanese Armed Forces and their ability to help keep the lid on in northern Lebanon. But can you talk about um, what you as ambassador could do to help address that and, and what would be the impact on Israel's ability to defend itself in the north if the LAF um, is not able to function? Well, Senator, obviously, if confirmed, my remit will be centered in Israel, and uh, we hopefully will still be able to have diplomats in Lebanon advancing our interests there. I would work with them. Um, I think the president's de decision to deploy two aircraft carrier groups into the Mediterranean sends a powerful message that doesn't need a lot of explanation. 
Um, it is more armed power than almost any other nation in the world could bring to bear. I hope that is a deterrent that is heard and we don't see a multi-front war. Well, thank you. I, I certainly share that. Um, one of the other issues that um, we haven't yet focused on is the, um, the challenge of the impact on the defense industrial base in both Israel and the United States, um, given the Putin's invasion of Ukraine. So if confirmed, how will you work with the Department of Defense, the Israeli Ministry of Defense, and U.S. defense companies to best support the delivery of military assistance to Israel? I, I think that is a hugely important question that will have a whole different set of considerations than it did two weeks ago. Um, until the mission of the inquiry into what happened and how Israel didn't see this and respond more quickly, until that is understood, I don't know the answer. I don't know if it's things they need, people they need, strategies they need, but it is just not acceptable to have an exposed border like that. And I don't think there's probably anyone in Israel who thinks it's acceptable either. We have a relationship with Israel in the defense area that's unique in the world. You know, we've had a history of phasing out uh, a special provision that allows Israel to spend U.S. defense resources domestically. Um, I'm not yet in a position to, to have a firm view, and it's not, I've been briefed in on all sure. of the details. But I think we have to ask questions about, is that phase out the right schedule? Is there something to, at stake here? And something I mentioned in my testimony, which uh, I just want to underscore, Israel's uh, role internationally um, as a defense industry, as a technology industry provider, is kind of unique. Uh, it is a huge percentage of Israel's economy, much bigger as a percentage of their economy than it is of ours. And they have a level of resources and quality of materials and technology that other countries want. And particularly with regard to trade with China, if you had asked me two weeks ago what one of my big challenges would be, I would have said it would be working with Israel to understand the need not to give China things that we wouldn't give China to gain a military advantage. That is not um, as easy as just saying do it. They may well have the view that it's central to the economics of their industry. I don't know right now. I hope we're at a point when I am over there, if confirmed, shortly into my time, where you can have those conversations and ask our closest ally in the region to be partners with us in limiting some of the spread of advanced technology. Well, thank you at the appropriate time. I, I hope that you will um, focus on that. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Secretary Liu, first of all, uh, thank you for your candor and your patience during this hearing. I think you have the ability to go through long sessions of diplomacy, um, and uh, you've shown that quite clearly. I just want to make one response. I think first of all, I want to thank the members of our committee. Uh, I thought this hearing has been very helpful and productive, uh, and uh, Iran's capacity, its nuclear capacity, its funding is certainly an issue of grave concern to the national security interests of the United States and to Israel. So. Uh, I don't object to the questions that have been asked, but I do think it's important to, to clarify. I was the ranking member of this committee when the JCPOA was considered, working with Senator Corker, who was the chairman of this committee. 
and the two of us in a bipartisan way, with overwhelming support from our colleagues on the floor of the United States Senate, developed a review process so that we could have an open review of the JCPOA before it went into effect. It delayed the process for a substantial period of time for congressional input. The transparency of the Obama administration during that process was unprecedented. We had more briefings and hearings. I thought I was qualified as a nuclear physicist <laughs> listening to, to Secretary uh, of Energy. I, it was, we had in-depth discussions on every aspect of the JCPOA. And we had our chance for input, and in fact, I think our input changed the agreement as it was being negotiated over that period of time. That's how we should work, in a bipartisan manner. The review was bipartisan. There were some of us who disagreed with the final product. We thought perhaps it was set up wrong in the beginning to allow nuclear enrichment in Iran. Uh, I voted against the JCPOA. But I must confess that the transparency that this administration exercised was unprecedented. I met with President Obama many times, and I just want to associate myself with Secretary Liu's comments that an agreement's an agreement and that we had a responsibility to carry it out, and in fact, we did carry it out. We were in full compliance until President Trump unilaterally decided to withdraw, which I think was a mistake. It not only but it made the U.S. the violator of the agreement, but it allowed Iran to get closer to a nuclear weapon as they are today with their enrichment policies. Now, we're not going to be talking about that during this hearing. I understand that this is a, a, a member of the Obama administration and, and, and it's fair to question in regards to the JCPOA. But I must tell you, I know our nominee, and I thank him again for his public service. At all times, he's conducted himself with the highest degree of integrity. Uh, he served President Obama well, served our nation well, and it was always open with us in Congress, never, ever held back information that was properly, shouldn't be properly disclosed to us. And I just want that on the record, and, and I thank you again for your for your. Testimony. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Rich, if you want to make any. No. Uh, we will keep uh, the record open for questions for the record until 1 p.m. tomorrow, and that will give you a couple hours to get them back to us. <laughs> we know, I hope you weren't planning anything that important over the weekend, but we'll, get, we'll allow you to take a little bit of time off for prayer on Saturday, but then back to work Saturday night. Uh, if there's no further business, the committee will stand adjourned. Thank you. Thank you.